Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome aboard the National Football Show. It's your boy, Big Sills. I appreciate everybody coming aboard today. And do me a favor. Please hit the like button. We have a packed show. We're going to be efforting our friend Kurt Schilling today. Also, Tony Saracusa will join us from the last word on college football. No question. Sparks are flying before the SEC season even gets underway and the college football season gets underway. I absolutely love it. Most of the media, I'd say 90% of the media, have taken this story and run with it in the wrong direction, in my opinion, we'll set people straight. And by the way, if you're under some notion, okay, that college kids have not been paid until now, I got this just in for you here. The only thing different from my time to today, it's legal. People were paying back then almost the same amount of money that they're paying today. Now you're just making it legal. Can you imagine... If you're SMU right now, and the things that you were doing back in the 80s are totally legal today, your program was put on the death penalty. You notice that no other program has ever had that happen, okay, ever, again, other than SMU, the death penalty. And it was so unjust because today the things that we're doing now, SMU was ahead of their time looking out for their kids. And they wanted to win. But do you know how SMU got the death penalty? Schools like Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, the Big Ten schools, all called the NCAA on them. And that's kind of what's going on here. We're going to get into that story here in a minute. So it's 24 hours after we had a show yesterday and we were talking about the great additions that the Philadelphia Eagles have added to their football roster. It's been great. It really has. And now you're getting people making comments on what they're potentially going to see here. Brandon Graham made a comment either today or yesterday it was where he said that Jonathan Gannon, let me quote it here, is going to open it up. What exactly does that mean? Jonathan Gannon is going to open it up, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles. What does that exactly mean? More blitzing? More man coverage? What does that mean? We're going to open it up more aggressive, old school Jimmy Johnson kind of stuff? An old school Jim Johnson kind of defense? Interesting. I can't wait to see this. I can't wait to see what Brandon Graham actually means by this. Opening it up. When you've got the type of talent, especially in your front sevens right now, that the Eagles have and the Eagles have brought in, to me, I want to see a more aggressive defense. I don't want to see quarterbacks rolling into Lincoln Financial with a 90% completion percentage. I don't want to see 
Dak sitting back there all night long, having the opportunity to go to three checkdowns. I don't want to see that. I want to see aggressive style of football. You got a football roster. We said it yesterday. That is primed to win 12, possibly 13 ball games. Right? Act like it. Don't be conservative. There's no reason to be conservative in the NFC. AFC, you got to be a little conservative because there's a boatload more good teams in that conference than there are in the NFC. So what does that exactly mean? I'm expecting more blitzes. I'm expecting a lot of play and a lot of situational plays with Hassan Reddick. You know, your two biggest stars, in my who should be the two biggest stars by the end of the Eagle season on defense? Who do you think should be the biggest stars? Me? Should be N'Kobe Dean and Hassan Reddick. Those two guys need to be an impactful duo on the field for the Eagle defense all season long. Look what the impact was with the Rams. You had Von Miller and you had Aaron Donald. They weren't really all that spectacular against the run, but they were exceptional because you had also a cover corner in Jalen Ramsey. Okay? Let's bring it. You possibly, would we agree? Like Otis, how about this? Would we agree the Eagles may have the best duo of cornerbacks in the NFC? Right? D. Dean and Reddick have to be playmakers. And if you get anything from your tackle positions or you get anything from sweat, fantastic. But those two corners now give you the ability to do what Brandon Graham is saying Jonathan Gannon is going to do. You know what that is? Let's open this bitch up. Let's get this bitch going here. Okay? There's no excuses to see that style of defense. Brian Dawkins on this Network made it very clear. Seth Joyner has made it clear. Gary Cobb has made it clear. Everyone has made it clear. We can't play that style of defense next year, especially when we've upgraded the roster. Fair? Okay. So I was happy to hear that. Now, look, they're going through schemes right now. Okay? It's helmets and shorts. It's OTAs. You know, it's, it's mini camp stuff, you know, that kind of stuff. So what they're getting is they're basically getting a skeleton of what is going to be implemented this year. You're practicing pretty much right now, kind of the skeleton, the blueprint of what they're going to try to accomplish this coming 2022 season on defense. They're giving you the parameters. We're going to blitz more. We're going to be more aggressive. We're going to play more man coverage here. We're going to play 34-43 because of the depth we have in the front seven. That's a good sign here. So that's what's being said here. That's what's being practiced. You know, you could say one thing to the media and practice something else and do something completely different. We see teams do that all the time. So that's a great sign. Jonathan Gannon is going to evolve, it seems. Because he's got an upgraded personnel. Okay? D, D says they need a safety. I'm all right with Marcus Epps. Okay? I'm all right with Marcus Epps. I think we need to give him an opportunity to play. 
Okay? I think they need to give him an opportunity. W2 says this, that you see how big A.J. Brown was. That guy is huge. I saw him coming out of the locker room and running onto the field. He is, man. That guy's a big dude. That guy is a big dude. All right? Okay? Big dude, man. Big dude. Otis, thank you so much for coming aboard. We really appreciate you stepping in. If this is your first time, thank you so much, man. Okay? Thank you again. Please, please, people, hit the like button. We thank you so much. All right. I want to have a little fun today. You know, Big Sills does a lot of homework here. Okay? By the way, we're efforting our friend Kurt Schilling today. And Tony Saracusa. From the last word on college football, that'll be in hour number two, 4.30 Eastern time. We're going to try to get our friend Kurt Schilling on the program today. Kurt said, let's see if we could try to make it happen today. So we're going to go ahead and try to make that happen here. Maybe I just got a text here. And let's see. Let's try it. Okay. So, yeah, Xander, just give him a call. He just texted me. See if we can make it happen maybe like at um, maybe 5.30 Eastern. Let's see if we can make that happen. So Kurt just text me. I don't have a problem opening up the first hour of the show, and it's all us. Okay? Thank you, Otis. I appreciate you being part of this here, man. All right. Let's have some fun here. Where would you rank the Eagles' offense – with the other 32 NFL teams, where would you rank the current offense? And I get this. I know it's on paper. I know it's on paper. Okay. So we're going on May 19th. Okay. May 19th. I get it. Where would you rank this offense? AJ Brown, Devontae Smith. Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, and a top-flight O-line. Quez Watkins, part of it, with depth. Where would you rank the offense? Okay? Very cool. Very cool. 5.30 Eastern time, Kurt Schilling. The legend himself who won 108 games for the Phillies should be in baseball's Hall of Fame. Very cool. So Kurt Schilling will join us, and Tony Saracusa will join us at 4.30. All right. 10, 12, top five. Because of the rushing attack we have, if Hurts plays decent, no, 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 no. W2, with what you have right now, I got to show you guys something here. I can't believe how and where I put the Eagles. Okay? I can't believe it. I cannot believe where I've put the Eagles. This is offense. This is not the team. This is not the coaching staff. I think you may be shocked. Here we go. Please hit the like button. 32nd offense in the NFL, according to Big Sills. 
Chicago Bears. Quarterback sucks. No weapons. Worst O-line, maybe, in the NFL. 31, Texans. Mills, okay. Trade away DeAndre Hopkins, and you traded away a top five quarterback. I mean, I don't know where you're going. 30, Panthers. Christian McCaffrey, I can't count on him. Constantly banged up. Very little in the passing game. Sam Darnold, I don't know. Draft a kid, too. I'm not really looking at Matt Rule and going like this. Boy, I'll tell you what. You know that contract that David Tepper gave him, the owner of the Panthers? Somehow I'm being underwhelmed here. Okay? I am clearly being underwhelmed here. 29, I think you're shocked when I say this. Seahawks. I've got the Seahawks here. Come on, man. Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and nobody. Rashad Penny. DK Metcalf, okay. O-lines and tatters. I don't see it. 28, Falcons. Marcus Mariota. Now, you do have some... components that you can look at with future they get a wide receiver they also um Kyle Pitts from a year ago quarterback position in the O-line I just I just I don't see it I don't see it in Atlanta they move off of Matt Ryan I'm putting the top 32 offenses in the NFL wait till you see where the Eagles land also Your favorite football team, you may agree or disagree. Number 27, I got the Steelers here. Revamping the O-line. I do like Najee Harris. I think Najee had, if I'm not mistaken, right, Xander? I think he was over 1,100 yards last year. Not a bad year for a rebuild O-line and a quarterback who was shot in Ben Roethlisberger. But that whole offense has to be revamped. They've done a nice job at retooling the O-line. They'll figure out the wide receiver position, but the quarterback position is still a question mark in Pittsburgh. How funny is that? Pittsburgh has a question mark. They haven't had one in 17 years. They got one now going into 2022. 26, I got the Jets. Zach Wilson, not sold. Just not sold, okay? Um, We'll see. 25, I've got the Lions, There's some components there. Jared Goff isn't terrible. He's just terribly inconsistent. He'll go through a stretch of games where he'll look unbelievable for five games. And you'll go like this. This guy's spectacular. And then all of a sudden for the next three games, you're like this. This guy's got a lot of Carson Wentz in him. Wentz will look insane against like the Patriots. He'll kill the Bills and then just, you know what, all over himself against the Jaguars. And you're like, how can that be? Or that horrific eight minutes of football versus the Titans. You're like, that's the worst football I've ever seen a quarterback play. It really was. Carson Wentz last year against the Titans, there was like eight minutes of football. That was maybe the worst eight minutes of football I've ever seen a quarterback in the NFL ever play. I think you may be shocked here. Patriots are 24 
Mac Jones, I don't know. You know, Mac Jones is, I don't know, is his, you see him being better than Kirk Cousins? Okay, and you know what? And you know why I bring up Kirk Cousins? I think Kirk Cousins is the floor before you start to get to the elite guys. Okay? that That's how I look at Kurt and why you hear me bring him up. And why you hear me, like, always start there. Because I think then you go up. Like, I don't see Mac Jones being better than Kirk Cousins, right? I mean, he's like a Sam Bradford kind of guy. Or, I don't know, I just... I don't know if, do you see greatness in Mac Jones? I see good. I see stable, protect the ball. I just, how about this? Would this be fair? With Mac Jones, I I do this. Okay. He's, you know what? Would this be a fair comparison? I see Chad Pennington. Chad Pennington was accurate. He was durable. He was a good quarterback. Right? I see Trent Dilfer with Mac Jones. Dilfer had a winning record. Was on many winning games. Actually, won a Super Bowl. He's kind of that guy. Okay? I mean, and by the way, that's not bad. Okay? And, 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 And listen, he's got great coaching around him. That is a factor. Xander, you're right. It is a factor. They're going to win games because they're going to put Mac in a position. But they got to put a boatload of talent around him. And it's just not there yet in New England. By the way, I'm not saying he sucks. I just don't know if I see greatness. Okay? Hey, by the way, did he have a better year than what uh, Tugga Viola and all the rest of those guys? And do I look at him better than... Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and Tua. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm talking about being elite, you know, winning Super Bowls. 23, you ready? You know, after I went and I did the rankings of the offense, it made me really think of some of the shit that I've been saying to you guys. I got the commanders at 23. I think their wide receiving core is upgraded. I think their old line still needs some work. Um, I think they can run the ball, but it's all going to come down to Carson Wentz. And the fact that he has to be consistent. He can't beat the Bills and then shit the bed against the Jags. There's You need somewhere in the middle there. I don't need you to play spectacular all the time, but I can't have you play like that against the Jags especially in critical times when I need you to win ball games. Is that fair? The commander's offense at 23, it may be a little low, but then again, I'm looking at who they are right now on paper on May 19th. Okay. He was talking about the, uh, okay, okay. Najee Harris had 1,200 yards last year. Dude, I like him. I liked him coming out of college. By, by the way, you're never going to see a superstar running back at Alabama being taken in the second round ever again like they did with the dude in Tennessee. My wife and I, I'll never forget it on draft day. Me and her looked at each other and we went like this. And I'll never forget that draft. I went like this. I go, they, they drafted that guy in the second round at Alabama. 
She's like this. That guy is a horse. My wife's got a great eye for talent. And I went, I can't believe that guy lasted to the second round. Can you believe it, man? I mean, Derrick Henry went in the second round. And I, I, I was, you know, they, I think it was because of Richardson. And everybody looked at those Bama backs because of uh, Clinton Richardson. Then all of a sudden you went, eh, well, he'll, how do we know that um, King's not going to be that guy? Dude, he wasn't awful, but he wasn't the player when he came out of Alabama. I think he was like the third pick. He wasn't the third pick in the draft. But if you took him somewhere in like the later first round or in the second or third, he'd have been a decent pick for you. But he was just drafted so high. And it was a mistake. I actually have the Giants at 22 here. I know. Daniel Jones. Saquon Barkley, though. It's an improved offensive line. They did a lot of drafting in the O-line for the Giants. I think their wide receiver room isn't bad. I don't think that they're awful. They're awful on defense. And they've done some work in the O-line but I've got the Giants at 22. I think you're going to see the improvement with this next team here at 21, the Jaguars, because of Doug Peterson. I think Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence are without a doubt going to make a difference in that franchise. It may be subtle this year, but the running back that they got, NTN from Clemson, the quarterback, some of the components they have at wide receiver. The offensive line is not horrible. The Jaguars, they have some pieces there, okay? And with better coaching, I think that the Jags make an improvement. 21st best offense in the National Football League. I'm giving you the big sales offensive rankings right now, and I'm doing that because of the new components that have been added to the Eagles This is crazy. When I really put everything down on paper here, some of the shit I've been telling you, man, this doesn't add up to this list. It's crazy. Number 20, I got the Titans. They fall because of the loss of A.J. Brown and because of the loss of Julio Jones. Okay? Ryan Tannehill and Derek King. I mean, dude. There, there, there is no question the running back is an MVP candidate each and every single year. He's an MVP candidate. He's spectacular. I think he had 978 yards in like eight or nine games last year. Guy was on his pace to have a 2,000-yard rushing season. He may have broken um, because of the extra game. He may have gotten 2,100 yards, and he may have broken Eric Dickerson's record. He's a spectacular football player, but I just don't know if that's enough to become the number one seed in the AFC with all the talent that they have um, in the AFC, okay? I just don't think they do. 19, I got the Dolphins. Dolphins are now a top 20 offense. Tariq Hill, Jalen Waddell, they can run the ball. They get the offensive tackle from the Saints. It's all going to be on the play of Tua. I think Tug of Viola has a decent year this year. I like what they're doing in Miami. I want to see it implemented on the field, but paper-wise, they've made massive improvements. Don't have a bad tight end either. That's a good-looking group. That, that's the kind of football team, that Miami team, 
that could actually make some headways. Okay. And after the first four weeks of the season, you may be doing this. That Dolphin offense looks pretty good. It's all going to be how they get out of the gate. Running the football play action has to be something that is being implemented in Miami because he needs that. Do if you go back to Tua and you go back and watch him and you watch what they did at Alabama, play action was enormous. Play action is a staple in the Alabama offense. Okay? One thing Saban has not gotten away from, he wants a power team. He doesn't like the finesse teams. That's why play action will always be implemented in that Alabama offense because it protects the quarterbacks and keeps them safe. You start getting away from play action and you start becoming a finesse offense. I think sometimes this is what really got into the way of the Steelers becoming that dominant team again. Okay. They made their bones just like the Eagles have made their bones running the ball. The reason that the Philadelphia Eagles have 14 playoff wins since 2000 ain't because you have a ton of wide receivers that have played for you. It's because you've had a ton of great old linemen. Think about that. For instance, think of this for a second. You would say this, right? The Philadelphia Eagles have had more star offensive linemen than any other position on the team and in the organization since 2000. Is that fair? You've had more star offensive linemen. You've had a few wideouts that were decent. You've had some defensive players that were good. But you have had Hall of Fame guys. Hall of Fame guys play for you, okay, in that old line. You got an offensive lineman right now that's going to go to Canton. I mean, you got another guy who may end up going to Canton at the left tackle position, okay? It's the number one position in Philadelphia. It's not wide out. You've had some good running backs. That's a fair comment. But you haven't had the running backs like you've had in the old line. Tight end two, Eastside Monster. You've had some really good tight ends. Um, what's the kid's name that was um, with Donovan? Was it Chad Lewis? Was Chad Lewis there before Zach Ertz? Is that the kid's name? What up, Fred? It, 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 didn't it go like Chad Lewis, Zach Ertz, and now you got Dallas Goddard? It's pretty good. It's pretty good, man. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good – that's a pretty good transition there. Those, those three guys, okay, over your last 25 years, that's pretty good, man. It's pretty good stuff there. All right. I can't believe I put this down this low. Jess, that O-line has been tremendous. I got the Vikings at 18. Justin Jefferson, Thielen, tight end's not bad, running back. Okay, quarterback. Offensive line needs some work, though. That's why I put it a little lower. Okay, and look, I'm being, look, I'm not trying to stir shit here. I'm just looking at with the roster and the depth chart. I get the Vikings 18th. A lot of, yeah, but I'm not talking about the defense right now. I'm talking just about that offense. Hey Jess, I listen. I'm with I'm with Xander. I think they're gonna really. I think they're gonna battle Green Bay this year for the North. I do. 
Oh, Chris, I'm going to get to Saban in a minute. Number 17. I can't, I can't believe where I'm at already, and I haven't mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles. 17, the Colts. Addressed the wideout position. Jonathan Taylor turned out to be a hell of a back, 1,800 yards. They bring in Matt Ryan. Offensive line is good. I think they have the 17th best offense in the National Football League. Number 16. This may be high. Who would have thought that I would put the Saints ahead of the Vikings and Dolphins in my Big Sills top 32 offenses in the NFL? But I did. I think they got a Olave, Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Jameis Winston. Did throw for 5,000 yards three years. I mean, guy was 5-1 and one before he got hurt. I mean, dude, I think don't go to sleep on New Orleans here. They have a top flight defense on the other side. Number 15, the Arizona Cardinals are 15. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. I think A.J. Green is still there too, if I'm not mistaken. Connor running the ball. O-line, I would like to see a little bit more. Okay? I know. This is sinful. But I got to be fair. Cardinals, 15. Number 14. The San Francisco 49ers. The reason that I have them this low is because they're still indecisive. Okay? Hey, W2. I'm stunned where I'm at right now. I wanted to... I Look, I can't do things just to get you, people upset. I've got to have some credibility here. But I think the decision of them flip-flopping and not thinking Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that's a problem in San Francisco until they solidify that. Number 13. The Baltimore Ravens. Who's playing wide out? Who's helping Lamar run the ball? Okay, he's a fabulous talent. They got a really good O-line. It's a great organization, and they got a great play-calling coach. But I don't really think they have a lot there. Number 12. The Las Vegas Raiders. Added Devontae Adams. They got Hunter Renfro. They can run the ball. They got a top-flight quarterback. Now they got Josh McDaniel as their head coach. I can't believe where I'm at already.
Number 11. We're getting close to the top 10 now. The Denver Broncos. Judy. Russell Wilson. Not a bad running game. Good in the O-line. Not spectacular. I have them a little... I'd like to see more um, of an addition to the tight end position. Here are now the top 10 teams in offense in the National Football League with big sills. Number 10. The Cleveland Browns are at 10. Deshaun Watson, they get Amari Cooper. You got Kareem Hunt. You've you I mean, you've got Nick Chubb. You've got some really good-looking football players. Okay? You really do. That's a good-looking group. O-line's good, too. I wouldn't say exceptional. I wouldn't say a top 5 O-line, but I'd say top 8. They're good. They're good enough. At number nine, the ninth best offense, according to Big Sills, is the Philadelphia Eagles. A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins, and the second best O-line or the first best O-line in all of football. And Jalen Hurts can win games. You see what you traditionally have with some of these other teams? You've got really good components, but watch this. Jalen's not a five on a scale of one to five position-wise. Watch this. The wide receiving room now in Philadelphia went from, what, a three to a four? Tight end, four. Running game, five. You see where I'm going here? Like, let me pick a team. Um, Vikings, quarterback, four. Wide receivers, five. O-line, three. Tight end, three. You see what I'm saying? I'm looking at it through the prism. Tight end, wide receiver group, O-line, and quarterback. And if you took the quarterback out of the room, where would your offense rank? Think about that. Watch this. If I took all the quarterbacks off these teams, hang on for a second. If I took all the quarterbacks off these teams, the Eagles would be ranked higher. Five in the O-line, four in the wide receiver, four in the tight end grouping. Five in the run game. Your quarterback's a four. That's how I looked at it. If I took your quarterback off that team, okay? If I took your quarterback, if I, watch this. If I take, let's do one of the teams here. If I took Tua off the Dolphins, five wide receiver. 
four run game, three tight end. You see where I'm going here? This is a unit. This is about a unit. So I got the Eagles ninth. Eighth. Look at where we are now here. When I start naming these teams ahead of you here. I've got the Bengals at eight. Quarterbacks a five. Receivers are a five. Tight end is a four. O-line's a three. Okay? Running game is a four. Okay? That mixing kid can play. They got a good running game. Even with a suspect O-line. You're going to hate this one. I got the Cowboys at seven. They were the number one offense in the NFL last year. Prescott, same ranking as Jalen. In my opinion, he gets a four. Running game, it's lesser than Philly. It's a three. O-line's four. Tight end's a four. Wide receiver group, CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup. I know he's injured. I get it. Okay? I get it. Okay? Xander hates where the Cowboys are at seven. Number six, the Buffalo Bills. Xander, he's been drinking. Thank you. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Out of all the Cowboys, anything ranked ahead of the Philadelphia Eagles, you guys shit on it. I love it. Hey, I I could, hey, you took all of what I said. Everyone's like, God, this list is great. And then I say, Cowboys. List socks. <laughs> oh man. I got the Bills at six. It's a good looking football team. Really good old line. Now they add Cook to the run game. Their quarterbacks are five. Their receivers are five. I think the Bills actually may have the best overall roster in the NFL. Number five, I get this. Wide receiver room will be an issue, but it's never been in Green Bay. Packers are at five. Dude, he's the reigning two-time MVP in a row. They can run the ball still with Aaron Jones. Their O-line's one of the best, if not the best, with the the, uh, Eagles in the NFL. Okay, they got a really good O-line, and they have Rodgers. You put that dynamic combination together, and they can run the ball, they're going to develop guys. So I got them at five. Four, the Chargers. Mike Williams. I mean, Mike Williams is a good-looking ball player. O-line, much improved O-line. Justin Herbert, sensational, okay? They got a really good wide receivers group. I mean, they can run the ball, too. Eckler's a very underrated Running back, he could catch passes out of the backfield. I'd love to have that guy in Philly. The Chargers are a really good-looking offense. Number three, the Chiefs. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, okay? Still have Travis Kelsey. Juju Smith-Schuster is a downgrade. But where you're going to see an improvement 
Juju Smith-Schuster runs better routes than Tyreek Hill. That's not what Tyreek Hill did. He did a lot of those jet sweeps. He did those four-yard out passes, and he took off down the field. There's going to be a more of a traditional passing game in Kansas City than there's been in the last two years. They've never really been able to get another guy on the other side of Tyreek Hill. Maybe they'll be more balanced this year. I just think when you have a quarterback like Mahomes, who's a generational football player, and you have a play caller like Andy Reid, who's had massive success everywhere he's been, even as an assistant coach, they're just too good. Okay? I got the Rams number two. I think the Rams offense, adding Allen Robinson, they're going to get Odell Beckham probably somewhere in October or November. Their running game, in my opinion, needs to get better. I think they have some issues in their offensive line. You know, they lose their their veteran offensive lineman, their left tackle. That's going to be a factor. Uh, Stafford is great. And when you have Cooper Cup, so you have Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson now. And then when you get Beckham back, man, is that going to be a terror show? And they're the reigning champs. So, um, and you got a play caller in Sean McVay, who's awful good too. Number one, the Bucks. Um, Mike Evans and all the players that they have on that football team. And now it looks like Gronk may not play this year. Okay, but they got a good running attack. Their offensive line is one of the better groups. And plus, you have the goat. Okay, so I got the Bucks there. Here are my thirty-two teams again. The best offenses in the National Football League. Bears. They're going from 32 up. Bears at 32. Texans 31. Panthers 30. Seahawks 29. Falcons 28. Steelers 27. Jets 26. Lions 25. Patriots 24. Commanders 23. Giants 22. Jaguars 21. Titans 20, Dolphins 19, Vikings 18, Colts 17, Saints 16, Cardinals 15, 49ers at 14, Ravens at 13, Raiders at 12, Broncos at 11, Browns at 10, Eagles at 9, Bengals at eight, Cowboys at seven, Bills at six, maybe too low. You could maybe change Bills and Packers. Packers at five, Chargers at four, Chiefs at three, Rams at two, and Buccaneers at one. That's my top 32 offenses in the National Football League. Xander says, Bills, Cowboys, Bengals, you bots. Rest, I agree. (laughs) Let's hear your thoughts in on this. I got the Eagles ninth. Okay? So you've gone from an offense last year, in my opinion, that was down in the 20s to a top 10 offense in the league, not just the NFC, in the league. Okay? Am I wrong? Paul says not too crazy. Cowboys are definitely too low. Seventh? We'll see how he reacts with an older Zeke Elliott 
I get Pollard is probably going to be the bell cow guy, but you don't have Amari in there, okay? And you've got an aging old line. Eagles are like 12 to 14. They're top five in my eyes. Who, Eagles? I don't think so. You think you're you Packers, Chargers, Chiefs, Rams, Buccaneers. You're in that group? So you have a quarterback that can compete with Rodgers, Herbert, Mahomes, Stafford, and Buccaneers. No Bengals are top five. Um, their old line's terrible. You can't have a quarterback get sacked nine times and think he's going to survive. He was sacked nine times in a playoff game and then seven in the Super Bowl. Okay? I want to see that group play this year. You know they've changed four of the five old linemen out? We'll see how that continuity plays out. They got to need a lot of mini camps and OTAs before they get into training camp. You know what? I would say this to you. It takes almost as long to develop an offensive line as it does a quarterback. Realistically, it's pretty decent list. Each team is a spot or two. Right. That's probably right. Eagles can get to seven, you know, depending on, hey, Carlson, depending on the play of the quarterback, of course, and the health of the team. Cowboys O-line, not the same. Agree, William. Agreed. Older. And losing players in the offensive line, okay? Remember something, the Cowboys were the number one offense in the league last year. I know some of those were empty calories because they were behind in games sometimes. Okay? Right? So, you don't think that really having a top 10, having a top 10 offense, that's quite an improvement. You've gone from here on May 19th talking about an offense a year ago who was down in the low 20s into being nine going into training camp. You may have had the biggest improvement of any football. I'm trying to look at the list here. Maybe the Browns have a better... Now the Browns... People thought the Browns had a Super Bowl roster last year. The Saints and the Eagles probably are surprises in the top 20. Who's Jalen Rieger? I mean, seriously, I can't wait until we get the chance to stop talking about him. I want to hit more on this list. I also want to get to the Saban and Jimbo Fisher. It's the best thing in the world for college football and for sports. God, I love that. God, I love that. God, I love it. God, I love it. God, the SEC just got a little bit, and college football just got a little bit more interesting. Wouldn't it be great if NFL coaches were talking shit like that to one another? When when Jimbo Fisher's making $10 million a year and Nick Saban's making $10 million a year and they're barking and calling each other cheaters is great for the sport. It's great for the sport. You now knock the NFL and the NBA off the front page when you do that. And anytime you could do shit like that, you're in. That's Jerry Jones or David Hill. You're, you're absolutely in. The nil drama is spectacular. It's the greatest thing ever invented. 
See, I'm a content creator. That was spectacular today. Those two guys going after one another, shit, you can't have better drama, man. That's why sports is the greatest reality television show on the planet. It's There's nothing like it. All right. Morgan and Morgan, where the fee is free. My friends, I tell you this all the time, picking an attorney is one of the most important things that you could possibly do. If you're hurt or injured on the job, finding that attorney is the most important thing you can do for your family because you need the proper restitution. For the people, you know, I say this to you all the time. It's not a slogan. It's who they are. It's what they do. This is what John Morgan has done and his family have done for 25 years. They've done this here. And now John and his wife, who have been doing it for 30, man, they've collected over $13.5 billion for their clients and settlements. The biggest casualty law firm in the United States. Size matters. That's why when you go to battle and all the army of attorneys that Morgan & Morgan have, you're not going to be defeated. Over 800 attorneys in offices in Philadelphia, New York, Florida, across the country, Man, they kick people's asses all the time because they go in there and they are not going to be intimidated. And no one's going to just say this. It's a fender bender. Call them. 800-512-1600. That's 800-512-1600. The consultation's free. 800-512-1600. And when you call Morgan & Morgan, do me a favor. Tell them Big Sill sent you. When choosing a lawyer for your injury case, you may ask, does the size of the law firm matter? Well, of course it does. The insurance company, they're huge with unlimited resources. And whether your case is big or small, they're built to bully you out of the money you're owed. But here's the good news. We're big too, the biggest actually. And we're built to fight to make them pay for all that was taken from you. Size is our strength. There's only one Morgan & Morgan. Forthepeople.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. At Action News, we cherish every moment, and it's our profound responsibility to bring you closer to your world. Never miss a moment. Trust the people at Action News. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. All right, did you know I was the Mommy Slam Dunk champion? Really? 
yes really don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, go to left, fake a mom. Mama, go. Oh, mama. She did it. Again. You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh-huh. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Billy Sports Rap. I think you gave us the topic at the top of the hour. I love that topic. Ranking coaching staffs. We may just have to do that at the top of the at the top of the hour here. Don't forget Kurt Schilling and also Tony Saracusa, not Gusa, Kusa from the last word on college football will join us at 4:30 Eastern time. Kurt Schilling from the barn in Massachusetts will join us 5:30 Eastern time. Can't wait to talk to a guy who should be in baseball's Hall of Fame. What a phenomenal big game pitcher, Kurt Schilling was in his resume second to none. I mean, the job he did in Philly, I believe if I'm not mistaken, he was an NLCS MVP for the Phillies. Guy was a World Series most valuable player in the desert with the Snakes. 200-game winner, low threes ERA, one of the best postseason pitchers in baseball history. You talk about the top 20 big game pitchers of all time, Schilling's name's in that list, Okay. He's, he's, he's in that list. So we'll talk to the legendary ace at 5.30 Eastern time. Before I get into that topic that we're going to do at the top of the hour, I love that. And I want to expand a little bit more on this list here. I got the Eagles ranked ninth out of 32 teams. I think that's pretty epic, actually, from where you were a year ago. Okay? Let me ask you this. I want to hit on this Saban thing. Guys, embrace this. You see, it was taken out of context what Nick Saban did last night. You know what he was doing last night? He was telling his boosters. You see how the world is set up right now, college football-wise, where all the rules are equal? We're going to win that because we outwork people, our resources, the conference, and we're Alabama. Well, that world's over with. The new nil rule has changed the game. You have now opened up Pandora's box in Texas. Do you actually think you're going to out-booster Texas Longhorns, A&M, Baylor, Texas Tech, SMU with those oil dudes in a state that loves football. And if you put two tickets on the table, 
Cowboys or Longhorns, I don't know which one they would take. They may take the Texas Longhorns. That's a state that football is king. The three states that are going to dominate because of this new nil rule are Texas, Ohio, and Florida. Why do you think Saban went after the Texas schools? Is going after Miami. Because the boosters now know you have an open door policy to offer a kid anything they need to get that kid to that program. He knows it's changed. Look, Indiana Hoosiers, not happening. San Diego State, not happening. The Oregon State Beavers, not happening. The Texas Longhorns, Oklahoma Sooners, that's happening. You got boosters out the ass. And what he was doing last night was he was telling the boosters, you got to up your game. Well, when I say it, it's kind of casual news. When the GOAT says it, and he made a reference to his guys, Texas A&M, and he was doing it vaguely, said they paid for every single guy that they recruited. What he meant to say was they paid for every single guy that's on that number one recruiting class. Not every guy. You set yourself up to be wrong when you say every guy. Okay? <laughs> hey, Kyle, I'll get to that. Let me finish this take, and I'll get to that to the top. Hang on here. Okay? So when Saban, when Saban was doing that, he wasn't really taking a shot at, at Jimbo Fisher's AM program. But what happens now is the media presents this to Jimbo. He said, you bought every player that's on your roster. It's not the case. So Jimbo fires back. And get this. You know, Jimbo worked for him at LSU. And Jimbo knows some of the dark secrets. And that comment that he made today, I was knocked on my ass. Hey, we put this guy up like he's the czar of football. Find out in his past and some of the stuff that he's done, you won't like it. See how he got to where he is and some of the deplorable things and despicable things he's done. I've never heard a coach say that so openly like that like Jimbo did about Nick Saban. This is great. They're both right. Saban knows the game's changed. Why do you think Coach Yuseski quit Duke? He knows the game's changed. Okay? Dude. Fantastic. Best thing I've seen in a long time in college football, the SEC schedule just got even more exciting. You're not going to – do you know, according to Forbes, the number one college football program in the United States is Texas A&M? Okay. Franklin Field at that hotel that's across the street, you spend $15,000 a night to stay there. And most people on game day when they have it there, College Station – Spend two nights. You're going to give the program $30,000 and the hotel is filled. 
with A&M boosters. All that money goes into the football program. Do you know the money that goes around A&M and the Texas Longhorn program? Alabama can't raise that kind of money. Look at the Forbes list. The most valued college football programs are are Texas A&M and the Texas Longhorns. The money they generate, that's why both their programs, they got $11 million coaches. That's why the runners, that's why they can fire a guy like Charlie Strong, pay him eight million bucks and hire another guy for nine million. Dude, I love I was I was like, oh my God. I have never seen anything like that. All right. I love that topic. I love that topic. Let's take a look at that. Where would, where do you think your coaches rank? I, I saw, hey, Steve, well, they paid a million dollars for that kid to go to Jacksonville State. You know, welcome to the big time, Dion. Your program is nowhere without that nil rule. You think, watch this. This is going to sound so psycho when I say this. You're, a, you're, you're an African-American college football player. And you're being recruited by Alabama and Jacksonville State. Where are you going to play? Dion? And the history of the all-black colleges? Why would I go there? I'm trying to make hundreds of millions of dollars for my family. Generational wealth. And me playing at Jacksonville State instead of LSU or Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State? I'm not doing that to build your program up, Hoss. You're going to have to do something for me and my family. So paying a million bucks? Get used to it, Dion. You're playing with the big boys now. You think you're going to get some kid from Bell Glades, Florida to go to Jacksonville State because of the heritage of the all-black colleges? When that kid's trying to create generational wealth for his family and dig his family out of poverty? What are you, crazy? Some of these coaches are so ignorant to that. You're going to do it for the old college pat on the back. Give me a break. Well, the history. Hey, dude, I'm not building this program for you. What are you offering me? How much money are you paying me? Nothing. You're coming here because you That's all right. LSU wants to pay me and my family $100,000 a year. See you later. Don't come knocking on my door again. What about the history? Yeah, oh, great. I hope it works out for you. Okay? Hope it works out for you. Come on, man. Jackson State. You're right. I'm sorry. My, my, my mess up. That's right, William. Kids want the paycheck, dog. All right. Let me take that time out. Please hit the like button. Keep it right here on the National Football Show.
When choosing a lawyer for your injury case, you may ask, does the size of the law firm matter? Well, of course it does. The insurance company, they're huge with unlimited resources. And whether your case is big or small, they're built to bully you out of the money you're owed. But here's the good news. We're big too, the biggest actually. And we're built to fight to make them pay for all that was taken from you. Size is our strength. There's only one Morgan & Morgan. ForThePeople.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on that can you search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Welcome back. Hour two. National Football Show. Your boy, Big Sills. Tony Saracusa will be with us at the bottom of the hour. Last word on college football. And then at 530 Eastern, the legendary Philly himself, Kurt Schilling, will join us. And we'll talk a little sports and whatever with Kurt Schilling. Can you imagine something about Kurt Schilling? He's got to sit around. And I'm going to say it. He's got to sit around and people who barely played sports in their life and listen to them debate about his impact on the game and keep him out of the Hall of Fame because of his political beliefs. Can you imagine that? You're keeping a guy who performed at the highest level in the biggest critical games, in the biggest moments, out of something that's rightfully his because you don't like who he voted for. You should have your vote taken from you. I don't give a shit about what and who you think or what. I only care that you take a look at what a guy's career is in between the first and third baselines, the hash marks, on the ice, on the court. I don't give a shit about you caring, well, he's a Republican. 
He's a Democrat. That is so uncool. Those baseball Hall of Fame voters, okay, in my opinion, are all criminals. They're criminals. You keep Bonds and Clemens out of the Hall of Fame because you think you're doctors. Well, they took steroids. What the hell would you know about trying to further your career to play longer, to make the most money you can, to expand your legacy? You know why? Because you're cowards and you're afraid. And that's why you hide behind a piece of paper. And that's why you hide behind a pencil. Because you never did anything in your life. You sat in the stands and passed judgment on others. And that's why you're a loser. That's why people in my business hate me. Because 99% of the people that are in my business are losers. They hate people like me who have been on both sides of the mic. They hate me. Do everything they possibly can to make sure I don't further and expand. Well, they can't stop this. Okay? Can't. I don't give a shit anymore. I'll say whatever I feel like saying now. And I hate the majority of the people that are in my business. Anybody who complains about a broadcaster who's an athlete making $30, $40 million and it's another broadcaster who wasn't an athlete, it comes from a place of jealousy. I root for everybody to have success until you start shitting on me. Those places like, like Deadspin, I call it shitspin, or awful announcing, those are all liberals who have never done anything in their life. Never competed for anything. By the way, you don't have to have been a pro athlete to have competed. You could have did it on any level. Just do it. But those guys were the last guy picked in the pickup game, and those were the guys that you killed in dodgeball. That's the guy you hit in the face with the dodgeball, and you blew their brains out with the dodgeball, and he's sitting right there, and you still plastered him. Oh, man, I love those guys. Okay? <laughs> You know, you play that. Oh, I love playing dodgeball. And all the dorks in the room with the protractors and like the Bunsen burners, I'd kill them guys. <laughs> hey, man, I used to just, I was a total jack. <laughs> I'd, I'd get that ball that guy fell down. I'd go like this. It's going to hurt a little. <laughs> I'd tell him too. It's going to hurt a little bit. If I were you, ducking ain't going to matter. <laughs> uh, bang, right upside the head, knocked the kid on his ass. First thing to hit was the back of his head. Of course, they called me in the office. Why'd you do that that hard to him? Well, because he was there. <laughs> uh, oh, girls, man, too. Oh, absolutely. And the girls, too. The girls will start laughing. Yeah, he hit him in the face. He got a big old circle on his back. I go, yeah, I know. Can I get a kiss? <laughs> no, 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 no. Chalk it up sports. I wasn't a bully, man. No way. No way. I, did not, I don't believe in bullying. No way. Actually, if I saw it, I'd kick your ass for bullying somebody else. I'd say, why don't you try that with me? That's, if, honest to God, I used to do that. Why don't you do that to me now? <laughs> try that on me. <laughs> Big bitch ass. No, nah, I don't think so. I used to see that stuff. I'd go, why don't, you, why don't you try that on Big Sills? I'm 135-0 and 0 for a reason. I'm the reigning heavyweight champion of the world. I, I, Big Sills don't get beat. 
Oh, man. I bully you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Xander, I would have put you in a slingshot and shot you across the link. Hey, you you would have thought I was Achilles. Xander's the arrow. Boom. (laughs) Hey, guys, please hit the like button. Thank you so much for coming aboard. Yeah, Xander would have been like the, the arrow, and I'm Achilles pulling that baby back. Oh, man. Hey, question for you. Before we get into that really cool topic, um, what's Quez Watkins and his role going to be on this team? For Nick Sirianni, what's, what's his role? What do you think his role? Mike, <laughs> my aunt knows all the rules. My, I mean, my aunt knows all the stories. Um, he did get killed with arrows. Achilles did. Nathan says slot. You guys think he's going to be the slot player? That's going to be his role. You know, he was talking with Josh Talentino from the Inquirer, and he was talking to him about his role. And I'm paraphrasing here. And he says that, you know, I'm going to keep working hard. A.J. Brown's addition is great for the group. Those are all great things to say. But there's no question you're going to get less targets now. So he's got to maximize the opportunities he gets. Is he going to get them with Jalen? See, there's another component to this. Jalen's progression reading. Jalen getting better at that. Jalen finding that. Are they going to have set plays for Quez? Because... Look, there's a reason that you pay a guy $100 million and there's another reason that you draft a guy in the first round and use a first-round pick. You want these guys to be a focal point in your offensive attack in the air. Okay? So, Carl, you think he's going to be more of the guy that is going to be kind of like the pseudo-Deshaun Jackson? I would. That's how I would use him. I would use Quez kind of in a 2.0 version of Deshaun Jackson. I would utilize that speed and I would line. I I don't know about lining him up in the slot. Okay. I don't know so much doing that. I think he's more effective and I think defenses are going to be more scared if you line them up in a Y or a Z, because what you don't want to get that guy doing is you don't want Quez Watkins in single coverage and he's running down the field and he's running by someone. Advantage equals. See, Kevin, I think Burner on the outside too is more effective because he's not, follow me guys, he's not going to have the opportunities at numerous targets. So you got to utilize him more situationally. Make sense? Because, you, look, your two focal points are, De- are Devontae and AJ now. Well, when you put that guy on the field, why would you drop him in the slot? You're, you're helping the defense. He's more contained where you have more pursuit people coming towards him. If you put him in man coverage or you put him in zone coverage and you let that freak run down the field with that 4-2-4-3-40, that scares me more as a defender than seeing Quez in the slot. 
If I see Quez in the slot, he's in traffic. We're going to get him on the ground. He's not the threat inside. He's a threat outside. And he's not going to be getting a boatload of opportunities. Okay? So to me, anytime he steps on the field, you got to maximize what his strength is. And to me, it's his speed. Okay? To me, it's his speed. I would do it this way. I would take Devontae, put him in the slot, put Quez out wide, AJ on the other side, or I'd put AJ in the slot, Devontae out wide, and on the other side, I would use Quez. Putting Quez inside, you defeat the purpose of speed. Speed, I'm more afraid of teams with great speed than I am with great size. Speed, you can't defend that. You got to run by you, it's over. You can get around size, okay? Stunts, getting in gaps, penetration defense, you know? Smith is small for the slot. Then put AJ in there. I'm saying this. To me, you've got to use him and his speed. Putting him inside doesn't help you. Zach says, would you use him kind of like Tyree? Yes. Those four-yard slant patterns or those little hitch passes, boom, let him go on single coverage. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Stephen, look at what you do when you put a guy like that on the left side. You have him running down that side. You got to, defense has got to account for him. You've got to account for four three speed. I don't care where it is on the field. You got to account for that. And what you do is right, dude. You put that guy in single coverage out wide, and you just throw it up. I'll take my chances. Today's NFL. You know, it's funny I say that because that's exactly. What I've been talking about on the Eagles having to finally take advantage of today's NFL. You can finally take advantage of today's NFL. You've got the players in your offense now to do it. you got speed. You've got tenacity and toughness in AJ. You've got talent in Devontae. You've got a tight end who's emerging. And you got a top flight rushing attack. And you got a quarterback who helps that top flight rushing attack. So there's a lot to work with here. There's a lot to work with. John, what's good, man? Appreciate you. All good. You know what, John? We're going to do the defense tomorrow. I ranked the top 32 offenses. I've got the uh, Eagles number nine. It's going to be interesting to see where the Eagle defense falls in line. That'll be tomorrow. We're going to do that tomorrow, but... One of the guys came up with a really great topic for right now. And that was, where do you think the coaching staff ranks in the top 32 coaching staffs? Where do you think they rank? I'm looking at the 32 teams. I think the Bears, I don't know what their new coaching staff is going to be. I don't know. It's It's a horrific offense. And it's a horrific, horrific um, quarterback organization. 
The Texans, I love Lovey. Is Lovey a better coach than Nick Sirianni? Yeah. Does Lovey have a good coaching staff compared to Nick Sirianni? Yeah. Except for Stoutland. Watch this. Texans probably have a better coaching staff. They're more accomplished with Lovey. Lovey's been to a Super Bowl. Lovey was fired in Chicago with a winning record. I think he went 10 and 6. They fired him. You think he's better than Pete Carroll, Sirianni? No. I do think this, though, about Pete Carroll. Uh, last couple of years, that's not been a best coaching job up there. You know, personnel-wise, too. I'll tell you something. Ever since Paul Allen died, hasn't that franchise Seattle gone the other way? You know, I mean, by the way, I, I don't know. Pete, you know, do I look at Pete today more as a – you know, two years ago, Pete Carroll was a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Today, I look at Pete Carroll and I go, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, we could debate it a little bit. The coaching staff in Atlanta, I don't know anything about them. Is he better than Mike Tomlin? Absolutely not. Is he better than the Jets coaching staff? Absolutely is he better than Dan Campbell in that coaching? They're going good, dude. They're doing good things in Detroit. But I'll take Sirianni. I'll take Sirianni over um, the Lions. Is he better than Ron Rivera? No. Is he better than Brian Dable yet to be determined? His first year, he took a team to the postseason with a second-round quarterback. I'll take Sirianni right now. We'll see if Brian Dable can go from being a coordinator, did a great job with Josh Allen in Buffalo. We'll see what he does in New York with Daniel Suck Jones. Dude, seriously, if I was going to take that job, that giant job, I'd be like this. Really? You want me to coach that dude? That guy's not good, man. I'd rather have Ryan Fitzpatrick. As my quarterback than Daniel Jones. This is a great, this is an even better question. You think Nick Sirianni's a better coach than Doug Peterson with the Jags? You think he's better? Danny Nichols. I like that. <laughs> More like Danny Pennies. Right? You think Sirianni's a better coach than Doug Peterson? That's a big hands down no. Okay. How many Super Bowl winning coaches are out there? There's like six or seven or. He's not better than Mike Vrabel. That coaching staff is not better than the Titans coaching staff. Big Keezy says that Nick Sirianni's better than Doug Peterson. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take Doug. You can go get coached by Nick. And you can – hey, hey, Keezy, let me know how them Kobayashi videos help you out on a blocking scheme and, you know, fighting hard and planting seeds and 
marijuana seeds and all the rest of the shit he talks about. I'll take Doug. I'm good with Doug. I don't know the coach in uh, Miami. I don't know the coach in Minnesota. So I'm taking Sirianni, by the way, in all these. Um, I'm not convinced with Nick at all. Rome, tell you what, it's pretty impressive first year, though. Pretty impressive first year. Second year, we're going to – hey, Matt Nagy won the NFL Coach of the Year award up in Chicago. He's, he got fired two years later, you know? You, this is a good one. Sirianni's not better than Frank Reich, right? You think he's better than Frank Reich? You think Sirianni's a better coach than Nick Wright? Frank Wright, excuse me. Dennis Allen, I do think he's a better coach than. Better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. Let me let me let me check that there. Because we're gonna stop there. We're going to stop there for a second there. Let me see. I'll take Doug Peterson over every coach in the NFL. Still my head coach. Love Dougie P. Uh, I thought we had Tony Saracusa ready to rock and roll. Last word in college football. We're going to have that here in a minute. I'll continue until he joins us. Kyle Shanahan. No. His coaching staff's not better than Kyle Shanahan. No. Okay. (laughs) yeah better than john harbaugh i don't think so and that coaching staff i don't think so bronco coach i don't know nick over cliff kingsbury really kevin stefanski coach of the year I think, yeah, I wouldn't be upset with either. What's the guy, what's, hey, what's the guy's name in Cincy? Zach Taylor? Let me write this down here. I'm going to, I'm going to click it here. That's where we stopped. All right. I got to do this, guys. I, in my years. Covering college football, I have never seen anything what I saw today. Since maybe Bobby Petrino's fiasco, when he was on that motor scooter and he had that neck collar, I never seen a press conference and then another press conference. Two coaches who absolutely are at two of the biggest programs financially in the country. I'm going to tell you one more time here. Texas A&M, according to Forbes and Texas, those are the two richest programs in the United States when it comes to boosters. When you go to Franklin Field and you stay at that hotel across the street and you go to Alumni Field there, let me just tell you something. It's $15,000 a night, and they pay it, and that money goes into the Aggies football program. I'm going to say it one more time to you. State of Texas. 
They were doing this stuff back in the day with SMU. The state of Texas, if I were anybody else, I'd be nervous about that because football is a religion in that state, and they pay for it. Boosters all go back and forth, and they all have these get-togethers, SMU, Texas Tech, Longhorns, Baylor, TCU. Dude, these programs are about to get an influx of money because of their boosters. And it was some fireworks last night with Saban and with Jimbo Fisher this morning. We bring in our friend Tony Saracusa from The Last Word on College Football. And, Tony, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this in my entire life. But let's get your thoughts on it and how you saw the fireworks with Saban last night and and Jimbo responding saying that we did not pay for every single guy on our roster and Nick saying that A&M paid for that entire roster at College Station. Just your thoughts. It's amazing to have such a boring offseason for college football, right, Dan? Hey, it's great to be back with you. Look, I, I – I learned something in journalism school from one of my early college journalism school professors. All right. And it was really simple. When you're done typing, when you're done with your story, take your fingers off the keyboard. Nick Saban violated that premise last night because I watched the whole thing this morning. And Nick was right about a lot of things. The NIL and the collective are going in opposite directions of what the intended consequences of NIL are. We ran an article that I wrote last Sunday, which not so loosely referred to collectives as legalized money laundering. Um, And we stand by that. It's not what the NIL was intended to be. And Nick was right about those things. And Nick was right about the boosters who are going to get upset when they've paid for a player and his existence at Alabama. And then the guy barely sees the field and, you know, he winds up transferring somewhere else and the boosters are going to get upset. Right. So. He was right about all those things, but then he kept going and he should have stopped because, man, he drove that car right into the ditch when he went at Jimbo Fisher. And you're right. We had Nick last night. We had Jimbo today and we are not done because Deion Sanders is still to be heard from. And, you know, that's going to be entertaining because Nick went at Jackson State, accusing them of paying a million dollars to get Travis Hunter and with no receipts. And look, as a journalist, as someone who went to journalism school, you know, if you're going to make accusations, you better be ready to back it up. And Nick couldn't do that. And he can't do that. There's all kinds of Internet fodder, social media fodder. Oh, they paid for this. They paid for that. That's Internet fodder. I'm going to hold a coach to one of the top programs in the country to a higher protocol than I am some rando on, you know, social media site. So it's, it was, it was bothersome to see Nick go as far as he did without being able to back it up. Then Jimbo today, man, Jimbo could have just said, I'm not going to respond to such silliness. And man, he went at it. And to find out that Nick Saban actually called Fisher today and Fisher wouldn't take the call. He said, I'm done with him. We're done. And he wouldn't take Saban's call. SEC media days in July is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe this. And, 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 Tone, this is how I saw it. And you tell me if, if, if you could see where – and, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving him um, an off-ramp here, Nick Saban. But, to me, he was talking to Alabama boosters last mm-hmm. night. 
And what he was telling people, hey, look, the way college football, this is one of the reasons that the Duke coach, Coach Yuseski, ended up mm-hmm. bailing out because he doesn't want to have to deal with this. Jay and he's telling for the same reason, yeah. At Alabama, he's doing this. Look, the game's changed. Mm-hmm. If you guys don't get in line with what you're going to start seeing, especially in Texas, and as you and I know, it's religion there. Sure. It's church on Sundays, yep. college football on Saturdays. Yep. That's what that state is. And programs like AM and the Longhorns were coming into the SEC too. They're going to come in with bags of money for these kids. And I think it was more in general. AM paid for their recruiting class. But because he's Nick Saban, Tony, you can't be firing shots at another conference coach and another coach like that. And that's where he probably stepped in it. You know who I imagine is really enjoying this right now? I, I've got a picture of Lane Kiffin, an, an imaginary picture of Lane Kiffin sitting back in his smoking jacket Chuckling. with a dry martini, just having a good old laugh about this. But look, I, I, you're right. If you're Saban, you can't do this. You have to be above this. And I get it. Look, he's warning the Alabama boosters. You got to come big. If we're going to compete, you got to come big. But here's the problem is Nick met, Nick misrepresented a lot of things. You know, not just the payments to the players, but he said, we're here because of all these lawsuits against the NCAA. No, sir. You are here because the NCAA failed in its obligation to see the future three, four, five years ago and say, this is going to happen. How do we put ourselves in a position to manage it going forward on a national landscape? He was letting the NCAA off the hook when the NCAA is the entire reason why it's so chaotic as it is. The NIL is supposed to be a relationship where, you know, Dan Cilio Cars wants to get the quarterback at, you know, whatever university to do some promotion. And he does the promotion and there are deliverables. There are tangible deliverables and you give him his 10,000 or 15,000 or whatever. And that's the way it's supposed to work. The collectives are boosters and alums and everybody else gathering money from different sources into one big pot of money and then distributing it accordingly without any real insight as to whether $10,000 from this booster went to that player, where the money came from. They now just have a big pot from which they can spend. And that's why at the end of the article, I I quoted uh, Joe Pesci from, from Lethal Weapon 2 and said, it's clean. It's been laundered because they no longer have any concept of where the money came from and where it's going, just we have this to spend. And and so for Jimbo, look, I, I get it to the point where Jimbo took it as, you're accusing me of not being able to recruit. You're saying without the money, I wouldn't have gotten any of these guys. And I take offense to that. Um, you know, his quote where he said, and I have it here, so I don't, I don't misquote him. I don't cheat and I don't lie. I learned that when I was a kid, if you did, the old man slapped you upside the head. Maybe somebody should have slapped him. Wow. Saban. Wow. And I'm like, okay, man, this is on. And he said, he called Saban a narcissist. He said, some people think they're God, but go dig into his past and how he's done things and you'll learn some new things. Um, That's a crazy comment there. It, it is. That when he was at LSU, Yep. when he was there, that they were doing shady. I mean, yep. This is a full-out arm wrestling match now in the SEC, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. 
you know, this October 8th game is going to be circled on everyone's calendar. I'd like him to play it this weekend, frankly. <laughs> let's, Dude, I'd like him to get the steel match and have Vince McMahon <laughs> right? sit there and promote this thing here. By the way, to your point that you made a couple minutes ago here on mm-hmm. the NCAA, they're still freaking battling it. They're still yeah. trying to put guardrails up where everyone knows the United States Supreme Court Justice, Justice Roberts, came mm-hmm. out and said, You're wrong, Mm -hmm. and they're still thinking that they could change it. So, to me, I'll ask you, do you think the nil – I think the nil rule does this, Tony. I think it's going to create a whole new division, kind of like the Premier League in soccer, where you're going to have 25 to 40 teams maybe in the country, maybe Mm -hmm. 35 teams Mm -hmm. that have the economic resources to get all these top kids. And places like San Diego State or Memphis – Man, you're not winning a national title when you got right. players making a million dollars. How do you see this thing eventually landing and where it ends up going? I think that is a possibility. I think another possibility, I've talked to a handful of coaches who see college football breaking away from the rest of college sports and let the NCAA run because the selection committee doesn't want to run March Madness or the College Baseball World Series or any of that. Let the NCAA run that stuff. We're going to have a commissioner for specifically for college football and we'll run that. There was an interesting conversation with uh, one of the administrators at Coastal Carolina who had these visions of, you know, the NCA going to not not replacing Mark Emmert with another person, but an executive committee and 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 being able to put in guardrails because everybody would be representative represented instead of being lectured to from the top. And I'm going to I'm going to go quickly because I know you're short on time, but one other one other solution I have, and it's it, two weeks ago I was joking about it. Now I'm serious. Look at what happened with the Pac-12 yesterday. Okay, where they got rid of the divisions in order to play the championship game. Right now it's the top two teams, and it would have changed five out of the last eleven championship games that they had if they'd had that in place before. Next year, presumably they will just get rid of the divisions altogether, have the twelve teams, and you play your schedule. Right. The ACC has been talking about this for months. And Jim Phillips, the commissioner, has been rolling it around publicly and doing interviews. George Klyovkov never did an interview about this. George Klyovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, never had a press conference. George Klyovkov just went and said, here's what we need to do. Here's why we need to do it. And he got a unanimous vote from all 12 presidents and chancellors. He got sign off from all 12 athletic directors and sign off from all 12 coaches. If you're going to pick one person to replace Mark Emmert and do it tomorrow, I actually think it should be George Klyovkov. Because isn't he I've, from the entertainment field? Yes, too? Isn't he, he from is, like MGM he or something? He ran like MGM, that? he ran MGM Entertainment for a lot of years. He's got a lot of legal background dealing with gambling in Vegas. He's got entertainment background. The thing that I learned about Klyovkov and talking to him several times is when you talk about, well, historically we did this, wipe that word historically off your slate. Get it out of your vocabulary. He doesn't care. What he looks at every time is a blank slate, and let's reimagine what it can be and should be to the positive impact of all of our members. I got to tell you, that is what the NCA needs like yesterday. I don't want to hear about Barry Alvarez or Bob Bowlesby or the insiders who are just going to put Band-Aids in different places. Let's blow it up and reimagine it and see what we can do with it before – it completely discombobulates. 
I, I'd love to see Dana White as the commissioner. Absolutely. Hey, somebody somebody not? with entertainment, like you said. Yeah. I mean, somebody like McMahon, mm -hmm. I know it's extravagant when I'm talking like that, but you need salesmen yes. because, like you said, Tony, with the advent of gambling now, with mm -hmm. all the college football games, mm -hmm. college football is going to benefit so much from gambling. Absolutely. And these programs that are divvying up money now, my God almighty, man, I mean – College football is in a really peculiar place right now because they have the ability now to be right there with the NFL mm -hmm. and they need somebody like a Goodell or a commissioner right. to be able to reel this stuff in real quick okay. on some of the coaching changes. Yeah. The impact you think Lincoln Riley has on USC will be what? Immediate, immediate and large. I mean, he's already, he's already, you know, hit the transfer portal in large numbers. Um, USC was just circling the drain. The boosters were unhappy. They were getting 25,000, 30,000 a game. I think it will be immediate and it will be large. Mayo Cristobal at Miami. I think that remains to be seen. I was never a Manny Diaz fan. I think Mario will bring a toughness to the program like he did at Oregon. This, I, this was the only job he was ever going to leave Oregon for, was to go back home and, and be where his mom is and his family and so on. I think it will bring a toughness. What that does on the field and his ability to recruit the Florida area, because, you know, man, you got to put a gate around Florida and go get it, right? His ability to do that is still yet to be seen. I'm telling you the things that I still think that will be roadblocks for him. Because when if I'm a kid, like you said, the picket fence goes from Tampa to Orlando, mm -hmm. down to Miami, and over to over to Fort Myers. Mm -hmm. That's what Howard called the state of Miami. Right. And can you keep the Southeastern Conference out of those areas? A couple of years ago, in Nick Saban's national championship team, Tony, every defensive back was from the South Florida area. Yeah. I mean, you can't have that any longer. And when when I was down there, you know, the big three, we were all in the top five. Florida, Florida State, and Miami. Now you've got UCF, USF. Right. You've got the Southeastern Conference. I think Miami being in the ACC actually hurts them I because if I'm a five-star guy, mm -hmm. I'm not playing against Wake Forest. Right. I'd rather play against Vanderbilt or Kentucky yeah. than play against NC State yep. and Wake Forest. You see where I'm at there? I think the I, conference I still keeps it behind. No, I agree. It's going to take him years to, to kind of undo or redo the damage that's been done ahead of him. Brian Kelly at LSU. I don't, I by don't, the way, I heard this stat. 20% yeah. of the players that were on that roster had yeah. entered a transportal. I a believe transfer it. Portal. Yeah, it's, it's a weird I – don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand the relationship. Brian Kelly – I you know, look, Brian Kelly had done all he was going to do at Notre Dame. I mean, he had gotten close to – you know, gotten in the playoffs, and he'd gotten all he could get. Now he's going to go get players that he couldn't have gotten in at Notre Dame – but it's a cultural mismatch of epic proportions. I, I you know, he, he's a laughing stock at this point, trying to do a, a Bayou, you know, imitation. How you doing, Tony? Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's I, I don't get it. I really don't. I don't see him doing well there. He's from Maine. Right. I mean, he's from right. up like Vermont or something, a yeah. place like that. He's going yeah. down. I like to tell you all that. Finally got, <laughs> I was like this. Who in the hell is that? Right. Yeah. It's you know, not. Here, it's not a good match here at Notre Dame. You know what? I'll I'll tell you this. There is one school that could benefit from nil more than any school in the United States. Absolutely. But get this. I think they'll never go down there. 
They barely go through redshirting kids. Right. They're an academic institution like Stanford right. is. Right. You think Notre Dame jumps aboard? Because no. if they jumped aboard the nil, Tony, they'd start winning national titles. No, I don't think they will. I, I, I think they hold themselves. And I've been to games there. And look, I've been to games. I've been to 28, 29 different stadiums over the years. Notre Dame is a special place. And they know it. And they treat it as such. And while I get that people don't like them and I get why people don't like them and I get why Miami hurricane people don't like them. I get all that. I truly do. They look at themselves as something different than the rest of college football. And they have worked so hard to maintain that, that no, I don't see them abandoning their long-term plans to do it. Excuse me, but I was throwing up in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean. Uh, I knew that would get you when I called it <laughs> oh, a no, special you did, place. You, it was like this, going like to putting that right in my heart there. Yeah, I know. Hey, Tony, man, tell people where they can find your work. And um, obviously great stuff again. Last word on college football. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can go to Last Word on Sports and click on the college football tab. And we're there. We are, of course, today covering all of this chaos in the SEC uh, we've also got a series running the best returning players by position for each conference. We did the Big 12 last week. We're doing the SEC this week and next week. Um, so we've got great riders, 20 riders across the country covering different beats. I have now moved out, was in Los Angeles. I am now in Charlotte, North Carolina, covering the ACC and the aforementioned Wake Forest. Uh, <laughs> so I've got an exclusive interview with AD John Curry next week. So we'll get his thoughts on a lot of this stuff. And um, so you can find us on Facebook as well, Twitter at last word on CFB. And you can find me at Tony Bruin. I am not changing my handle to demon Deacon Tony or anything like that. <laughs> I love it, man. You're really great. And we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for finding time. Nothing like kicking off a great college football season with some drama between Saban and Jimbo. I love it. Actually, I think it's, kind of good for the sport that we're talking something like this Absolutely. when it's not college football. Season. I got to say real quick. I got to say real quick before we go, I know you're in a hurry. That stuff over your shoulder. I love that creamsicle orange Tampa Bay stuff. That's, that's awesome. Right there, Leroy Salmon gave me that and that see all those awesome. um, game yeah. balls. Jimmy yeah. Johnson gave me every one of those game balls. The Tampa Bay stuff, man. I go back to when John McKay was coaching at UFC. So I, I see that and I think John McKay and you know, all those guys, that's great stuff, man. He picked him and his son picked me up at the airport when I got drafted mm -hmm. by the Buccaneers. They go, "Welcome aboard." I go, "You're John McKay," right? And Rich goes, "Yeah, that's my dad." I'm like, "Holy cow! God, that <laughs> I want to play in Southern Cal." <laughs> Tony, right. thank you, my friend. All right, man. Take care. Be well. You got it. That is Tony Syracusa from the Last Word on College Football. Holy cow, man! Really good fireworks. By the way, I want to hit on the James Bradbury. I want to continue our little sheet that we had here talking about where you think the Eagle coaching staff is. Don't forget, Kurt Schilling at 530 Eastern will also join us. Morgan and Morgan, my friends. The fee is free. They don't get paid unless you do. And finding that attorney, if you're hurt or injured on the job, is one of the most important things your family can go through. And Morgan and Morgan is the number one casualty law firm in the country when it comes to getting your fair compensation. Last 30 years, they've collected over $13 billion worth of compensation for their clients. For the people, 
No, it's not a slogan. It's who they are. It's what they are. I've known John Morgan myself for 25 years, and this is a passion of John. All his attorneys, the army of attorneys that they have, over 800 strong in offices in Philly, New York, Florida, all across this great country, go to battle for you. There is no case that is too small. There's no such thing as a fender bender at Morgan & Morgan. That's right. This is what they are. The call is free, 800-512-1600. That's 800-512-1600. The consultation is free, 800-512-1600. When you call Morgan & Morgan, tell them Dan Cilio sent you. After a car crash, the big insurance companies you see advertising on TV, they may try to downplay your case and might say it's only a fender bender or it's just a herniated disc. I worry that some law firms fall for this BS, not us. We put ourselves in your shoes and ask, what would it be like to be in your pain for the rest of our lives? A million dollars wouldn't be enough for me. There's only one Morgan & Morgan for the people.com. of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. At Action News, we cherish every moment, and it's our profound responsibility to bring you closer to your world. Never miss a moment. Trust the people at Action News. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, IBEW98.org. All right, did you know I was the Mommy Slam Dunk Champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really, don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, I go to left, I fake a mom. Mama, go. Oh, mama! She did it. Again, you can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. 
Welcome back. Hit the like button here. Don't forget, Kurt Schilling, 530 Eastern. Flex says you wouldn't last a week in the hood in Philly. Flex. I think you're under some pretense here that Big Seals didn't hang out with bona fide gangsters at the U, baby. Have you ever heard of Overtown in Liberty City? Have you? Okay. When I first went into those cities, I was told by Jerome Brown to make sure I put my Miami Hurricane jersey on. Still's a big dude, but he's not lasting in the hood. He'd be bullied every day, going home crying to mommy after school. Flex! Come on, Flex. How, how would I do in South Philly? That's where all the paisans are. That's floor. Oh, okay. Scaredy cat. What? Holy cow, man. Come on, Zach. Can you believe Flex over here? Sills, you wouldn't last at all in the hood in Philly. Well, what if I told you, Flex, that Jerome and Reggie White and Seth Joyner brought me to the hood in Philly when I played with the Buccaneers? What if I told you I did a camp? Can you guys tell me one more time? It's called the Plateau. God, we had barbecue. We had like... um picnics am i right am i saying it right the plateau we did like these football camps reggie white myself jerome seth clyde i think keith byers was there am i saying it right Cilio had a 24-hour hood pass <laughs> how dare you big chris Liberty City or Overtown isn't filled. <laughs> Matthew. Huh? Oh, man. GT, I can only imagine what eighth and Butler is. <laughs> I, I don't need, but by the way, and don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Okay. Our star lineup. Hey, man, Andre Waters is a great dude, man. Yeah. Probably would last in South Philly, <laughs> SP down seconds, to, but in the hood, West Philly. Well, why don't you do me a favor, Flex? Flex. Tell you what, next time I'm in Philly and we do a, um, a remote, we could do it from South Philly and, and the hood if you want. I'm, I'm open to that. Then we have it on Sunday at the link. I'm open for that. Would that be okay? You must be under some pretense about, I I, I think you don't know me very well. See this nice guy right now? I don't think, I think, you know, I don't know. Zach, I, I don't, you know, I think he's, I think you don't get what, you know, 
Big Sills ain't as scared of anybody, homie. Never have been, never will be. I ain't met a dude yet. <laughs> it's not gonna. Sills could easily handle Philly. Birdman. Flex, man. Ye of little faith. Ye of little faith. I think if you got a good look at me, Flex, when we're standing next to one another, I think you get a whole different opinion of Big Sills. There's a reason I wear the heavyweight championship belt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a nice guy now. I'm a lover, though, dude. Okay? Sills would have Bruno with him. (laughs) Don't go there. Don't go in there. Wait, don't go down there. (laughs) Oh, man. Marcus, I'm all game for it. I don't care where they want me to go. I'll roll right in there, man. You pick the restaurant. I'm there. Okay. Make sure it's some soul food for me. I'm ready to rock. Hey, Flex, it's all good. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Thanks for, ch- hey, Flex, thanks for checking us out there and work. Please hit the like button, man. Yeah, man. Little softy. <laughs> uh, William, hang on now. I'm a different guy now. I don't beat people up anymore like I used to. I'm retired now. I don't do those things. And flex, I don't throw people out of windows anymore. <laughs> that, you know, kind of in my hit. Flex, by the way, I got thrown out of Maryland because I threw a dude out of a first story window but I'm a nice guy now. That's a true story. That's a true story. I'm in retirement now, Zach. I'm in retirement. Yeah. Oh no. I'm, I'm a nice guy now. Yeah. Yeah. Flex. I got thrown out of Maryland cause I threw a guy out of a, um, no, I threw him into a, it sounds worse than it is, but I threw him into a snowdrift. <laughs> but I did throw him out a window. Uh, <laughs> I, hey, no, no, no. Hey, Stephen, I, I, I think some of you know. So we had a party on the first floor at this place called Ellicott at Maryland. God, my aunt, I pray to God she's not listening now. Her and my grandmother went into Bobby Ross's office and begged me to stay. This guy had a really good looking girlfriend flex and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to her and he comes up to me with his five buddies. Hey, it's my girl. I go, not tonight. She ain't. (laughs) And this is when I was a not very nice guy. Flex. This is when I was a not a very nice guy. Okay. If you got on my bad side, it wasn't good. Usually I never started shit. The guy put his hands on me. So he went out the window and we proceeded to beat the hell out of the other four guys. I've seen this movie happen. Oh, okay. Well, you think you're going to brush up on me and say, I need 10 bucks. <laughs> Flex, it's all good, man. Hey, it's all good. You got it, man. You guys are all good. I love it, man. We're going to reset at the top of the hour, by the way, too. Sills, don't start shit. 
hey, no, listen, I'm not, no, man. I, you know what? Don't bring me back to them days, man. Don't bring me back to those days, man. I'm, I'm retired now. Seals Confessions. Thank you, Birdman. Yeah. No, not like Ray Lewis. Come on, GT. All right. By the way, this James Bradbury deal. $7.5 million in base. Or $7.25. $7.25 in guarantees and another $2.5 in potential earnings. And that's what came out to the, the 10 million bucks here. It's a great deal for the Eagles. It's a great deal. It's a total prove it deal. So you got a guy who was in line to make $13.5 million. Okay? $13.5 million. You got him at $7.5 million. Pasca says, Sills, what's your ceiling for the Eagles season? NFC Championship game or bust for Jalen? Pasca, I'm thinking that. GT, it is a steal. Okay? Zach goes, I'm going to start calling you Mr. Steal Your Girl. Dude, that was – hey. I, I <laughs> See, man, I shouldn't say everything, man. See that? I shouldn't say everything. Seals played when Miami was in the, no, I didn't. We played, Steve and I played at Miami when we were independent. Okay. Hey, hey, Steven, I told the story before, man. We went into Morgantown and hey, I've never seen couches burn. Steven, I've never seen couches burn and dudes wearing nooses around their neck. I've never seen that. We got on the bus. You couldn't hear a pin drop. Me and all the brothers, you know, me being Italian, it's all good. I kind of fit in anyway. I'm sitting in there. I didn't say – I started laughing a little bit. I went like this. Has that guy got a noose around his neck? This guy had a noose around his neck. And they had crosses and couches burning. And I'm sitting there going like this. Man, it was a scary sight. These were Klansmen. These guys were Klansmen. They had hoods on. We had beat the shit out of them, too. On national television, it embarrassed them. And I'm sitting on this bus, man, <laughs> in the middle of this. And I looked over. Hey, Flex, you'll love this. I look over at Jerome, and I go, I think you guys are on your own today. <laughs> Everybody on the bus started laughing. I go, I think you're on your own tonight, man. <laughs> I, Dude, they started rocking our buses. Steven, it was, it was the scariest thing I've ever seen. I'm a 21-year-old kid, and these Klansmen were rocking our buses, like wearing hoods, nooses around the neck, burning couches and crosses. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I only read about this kind of shit. Um, I only read about this stuff. You know, and I'm sitting there going like, this is ridiculous. I go, my God, oh my. I think we beat them like 58 to three or some shit. And we crushed them. Zach, I'd never seen a cross burn and a dude in a clan's outfit. We get on the, hey, we beat them and we leave that stadium. And we get on our bus and we start feeling the buses rocking. And I was like, what's going on? Why are we rocking and all of a sudden, I see these guys with these wide hoods on. I'm like, 
I, I, I didn't know what it was. I was like, what is this? And Jimmy sits back and he goes, like, because he's from Arkansas. And Jimmy goes, yeah. And I went, what do you mean? What is that? <laughs> he goes, it's, it's the clan. The, excuse me? I went like this. Carl, it's a true story. Ask Alonzo Highsmith. Anybody who was on that bus with us, Stubbs, Finney Testaverde. It was crazy. Steven, it was fun, man. These guys were, hey, these guys just wanted to scare us because we had really, we'd really put it to their ass, man. Oh, man, it was crazy, man. All right, hey, I'm going to take a time out. Please hit the like button. We're going to reset. Also, Kurt Schilling at 530 Eastern. Keep it right here on the National Football Show. After a car crash, the big insurance companies you see advertising on TV, they may try to downplay your case and might say it's only a fender bender or it's just a herniated disc. I worry that some law firms fall for this BS, not us. We put ourselves in your shoes and ask, what would it be like to be in your pain for the rest of our lives? A million dollars wouldn't be enough for me. There's only one Morgan & Morgan, forthepeople.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Welcome back. Hour three national football show. It's your boy, Big Sales. By the way, Stephen, shouldn't be ashamed. 20 dudes is not an indictment on a community. Just because 20 
jackasses were doing that doesn't mean people in Morgantown are bad people. People are very passionate about their sports. People go overboard all the time. People say dumb stuff all the time. I'm a prime example of that. People do dumb stuff. It's not an indictment. One guy throws batteries at Santa Claus or throws snowballs at Michael Irvin or what have you. That's not an indictment on Eagle fans, even though the media and people like to do that kind of shit. They like to put people in boxes and in rooms and in lanes. It's not an indictment. Every Bill's not a bad guy. Every Bob's not a bad guy. Okay? I mean, it's not an indictment on communities. Okay? Right. You mean 20 people do bad things. Like, how many times have you gone to the link or you've gone to um, Wells Fargo? And the whole area is really cool. Everybody's having a great time, drinking beers, eating hot dogs, hamburgers. Kids are enjoying themselves. And you got four drunks there. Wreck it all for everybody else. That happens every game. You got four turds in the room that screw it up for everybody else. Okay? I mean, like when Carson Wentz rolls into Lincoln Financial, that guy's going to get the jeers that he so deserves by the fans because he failed here and he's going to get crushed. But 95% of the fan base are football fans. 5% are turds. They'll take it over the line. Like most people know when you're in a stadium setting, there's always those five people out of 20 shit on it for everyone else and then you get thrown in that room you're like i didn't do any of that you were sitting next to him i'm like i didn't even see him do it hey randy moss loves where he's from dude he loves he's from west virginia he loves he's from rand west virginia absolutely dude it's all good 20 dudes did not shape us from never playing, um, I'll tell you what, it, it bugged Jimmy a little bit on playing West Virginia again. But I think it was a couple of years after that that we played. Then we went back to playing them, but back then we were independent. So you had to play all the independent teams. Okay? I told you guys the story before. I think you guys, I've told you the story before. I break up a Klan rally with Jerome Brown in Brooksville, Florida. Everybody in Brooksville, Florida is spectacular. When we buried Jerome there, where his uh, hometown and all the Eagle guys and all the Hurricane guys and all the people from the community that were there, phenomenal people. Even the Klan's guys showed up to his funeral. The people that we broke up that... Get, I, I, that's funny I think about that now. When we broke that Klan rally up, it's in Sports Illustrated. You can Google it. I even think there's pictures of Jerome breaking his Klan rally. I was there. I was so upset because I had just been drafted by the Bucks. My owner is a known racist, Hugh Culverhouse. And there I am in Brooksville with Jerome going, dude, (laughs) you got me at a Klan rally? He goes, don't worry. I'm going to take care of this. I'm like, Jesus, criminy, man. What happens if like shots are, he goes, shut up. And so I'm going like this. 
all right. Sure enough, man, when Jerome passed away, some of the people that came gave their respects to Jerome because Jerome was a community activist and he wanted everybody to have a lot of love with everyone. Jerome was a great man. Okay. He hated hate. He made me a better dude. I really did. He's a tremendous man. He's a tremendous human being. Kevin goes, was Forrest Gump there? No, but I'll tell you, Kevin. Um, Reggie White was. Seth Joyner was. Chris Carter was. Uh, Buddy Ryan was. Jimmy Johnson was. Vinny Testaverde. Alonzo Highsmith. Cortez Kennedy. Russell Maryland. Uh, Norman Brayman. Uh, those guys were there, though. Th those guys were all there, and everyone was crying. Okay. It's just great. Just, just wonderful. All right. So we started the program out by saying that Brandon Graham came out with a comment about Jonathan Gannon. We're going to open it up. Who benefits the most, do you think? From Jonathan Gannon opening up the defense, who do you think benefits the most? Brandon Graham says just the things that we're doing right now is showing me that we're going to do a lot more scheming than we did a year ago. There's more personnel on that side of the football. Who benefits the most? From Jonathan Gannon playing a different style of defense. I think it's going to be those two corners. What's the strength of the defense right now? That's right, William. Thinking alongside of me here. Okay. Is it the front four? Or is it now your corners? What's the strength? of the Eagle defense. What do we see as the strength? To me, it's the cornerback play. And see, Smile, I'm not so sure about the DT because I want to see Jordan Davis in shape, and he's not right now. That's a troubling thing. By the way, don't forget, Kurt Schilling, bottom of the hour. Gannon has to press our corners. I completely agree with that. Completely agree. No more of that soft zone underneath. The front is why he signed. Jeremiah thinks it's trenches. Boy, Daz, I got to tell you, man, if you screw this up with the kind of talent that they have, he's just got to figure out how to put the pieces on the board here. Okay. Detroit, funny enough, racist people tend to be the people that apply what the few do to the many. That's why I never pass judgment on anyone. I make my own assessment. Nobody tells me how to think. I got my own way of thinking. I'm not a follower. 
Eastside Monster, Big Sills. I read that. Bradbury leaves the Eagles in free agency. After this year, we get a compensation pick. Correct. That's how that works. Most likely a third rounder. Look at, hey, Eastside Monster. The Eagles can't lose on that. You would probably get, hey, depending on how he plays too. It could be as high as a second rounder. Could be as high as a second. So if he leaves, you get a two or three. How great is that? I want to see Dean on the field. Seals, you do know that Schilling hated Philly. We'll ask him. We'll ask him. I want to know why. And by the way, he's on my show because he's compelling. Phillips says, 326, look coming our way. I think Dean or Hurts going to be the team MVP this year. Boy, Flex, I want that kid Reddick to be. That means the corners did their job and the pass rush improved. Davis is not going to be involved, I don't think, in the pass rushing. Christian McCaffrey, Stephen, just too injured for me. The Giants' dead cap pip is more than we paid for him. That's crazy great. That whole Bradbury move is insane great for the Eagles in the division. Doesn't even probably have to move. Knows all the players, the money, the compensation pick. If he decides to leave, say he leaves – and how he doesn't want to pay and he wants to go into the draft and get another corner. You know, next year's draft is going to be heavy and quarterbacks and cornerbacks. How's that for you? Right? The whole thing is spectacular. It just lined up perfect, man. By the way, it's almost – I love this. Here, let me get. let me ask you this. What do you think was the best move in the offseason for Howie? A.J. Brown? Hassan Reddick? James Bradbury? Jordan Davis? Nicobe Dean? What was the best move for Howie? The A.J. Brown deal. Convincing him to come and play in Philly? Convincing him to come and play in Philly. And to come, you know what? Jalen had to help. NFC B said trading. 18 and 101 for A.J. Brown. Brown by far. Fudo 13 says. Howie extension. About the restructuring of Cox's deal from 18-4 to 14-4. How about getting Hassan Reddick? Basically for a little bit more than $10 million a year on a three-year deal. Perennial. Right? 
Xander says, we stole A.J. Brown. You'd rather have A.J. or Traylon Burks, who can't even get through minicamp. You see that guy struggling to get through helmets and shorts? Dude, he's a receiver. I get Jordan Davis at 345 pounds moving around. That's a large human being. And to keep that kind of body in shape takes a lot, lot, lot of discipline. He's been traveling. I'm not making excuses. He should be in great shape. However, a wide receiver who can't go through passing drills in Tennessee. We're not talking about Florida here with the humidity here. We're not, we're not talking about that. That's a problem. Traylon Burks is out of shape. He's a freaking wideout. Dude, that is. Hey, Chris, I saw Kelsey's gut, man. I think he's half in the bag in retirement right now. Looked like a lot of White Castles there, man. Homie looked like he'd been working at buffet over, huh? Hey, I saw that, man. I was checking out the Eagle Twitter. And, hey, all you guys over there at the complex, I'm sure you'll tell Kelsey, but. Dude, I saw him walking out, man. Tell him to lay off the buffet tray. Dude, he mean, he's hitting it. <laughs> hey, man, I, I I don't know. I mean, try some carbs or something, dog. Man, that thing, man, he was like bloated. Hey, you know what? Maybe he was a little bloated. I don't know. Maybe he had some Chinese food or something, man. You know, he kind of bloats you up. I had some Chinese food last night, too. You know, kind of blew me up a little bit. You know, or maybe he had some of Sirianni's Kobayashi hot dogs, you know, some of that stuff. I don't know. Boy, Kelsey come walking out, man. That gut was working it, man. Woo. Wow. I mean, a big old fat barrel belly. <laughs> He's like 6'2", too, man. I'm like, came rolling out, man. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> and they go, that's Jason Kelsey. I'm like, man, thank God he's a legend. Because, man, wow. As Andrew goes, he's approaching Big Sills level. Well, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, in my, I'm in my late 50s. This dude's like 30-something now. I didn't look like that, man. Holy cow, man. Looks like he's in his sixth trimester. Homie's working it, man. This guy's got, <laughs> this guy's got a robosize a little. <laughs> That's a lot of beers, man. He's probably sitting back doing this, Kelsey. Yeah. Should I come back or not? Give me another one of them White Castles. Give me two more of them Coronies. Yeah, should I play or not? I'm going to Canton anyway. Hey, shit, let me tell you this. If I was Jason Kelsey and I knew I was going to Canton, my last year I may, ta- I, I, I may do that too. Okay? Dude, he got barreling out, man. I'm like, who is that? Is that the new kid? First, I thought it was the new kid, Jurgens, and, and then um, who told? Oh yeah, Tracy Rocker goes. No, that's Kelsey. I'm like, he started. I was like, hey man, wow, dude might want to lay off them pancakes and Jemima. Man. <laughs> man. Yeah, I don't know about cannolis, homie. 
I don't know, man. I don't think cannolis make you look like that. I think the White Castles and maybe some Hojos. <laughs> you know, you have Howard Johnson's. Do we still have Howard Johnson's? You know, Howard Johnson's at night, you go in there and you get like some crepes and you get pancakes. You order everything on the pan- on the on the menu and you're hammered. Me and my boys used to do that. Yeah, I was like, God, dude, you see AJ Brown? No, he come rolling out. I'm like, is that AJ Brown? Dude, he was, he's a big dude. He's a big dude. I was impressed. I was really impressed, man. 215, I don't know, man. I stay in the Dan Cave. I don't even know if Howard Johnson's are around. I just know I used to go at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I used to do hojo bolts with my boys. He is Daz. He's jacked, man. He's a big dude, man. Yeah, he looked. He did, Chris. He looked like a linebacker, man. That's a big man. And that guy's going to be involved. Hey, no wonder the Titans loved him. The Titans had to love him in the run game. That guy, not, I, can you imagine that dude rolling across the middle at 6'3", 6'4", whatever the hell he is? He looked all at 235 pounds. Yeah, DK Metcalf and him are big dudes, man. That guy comes rolling across the middle. He's going to be a factor in the run game. Charles, that's great to know. I love Hojo's, man. Waffle House down in South Florida, Hojo's up north. That was the story of my life, man. Dan, I really love what you do with this show. Much love. Anthony, man, look at that. Anthony, to me, as far as I'm concerned, you're a paisan. With the name Anthony, you're a paisan as far as I'm concerned. How you doing? We're boys. Bona fortuna. Right? Yeah, man. Milton Williams is benching 500 pounds. Really? Well, I'm going to keep an eye on him now. Milton Williams is putting up five bones. He's going to play. You know, I was impressed with him last year. I think he's going to get some playing time here, man. I really do. Dude, I I, I tell you, he may be the sneaky dude in this whole thing here. Okay? Let me tell you, I, I like him. Okay? Xander goes like this. He's taking the NFL seriously. He's working his ass off. Dude. That's great to hear. Because you know what? You know what? You know what a guy like Jordan Davis will do to a guy like Milton Williams? You know what he'll do? He'll take being looked over because somebody drafted him at his position and he'll put a lumber yard on his shoulder. Why do you think Brady posts that posters all the time and pictures of all those quarterbacks that were drafted ahead of him? You know why? Because athletes that are defined by greatness. And guys who are superstar players, man, they don't have chips on their shoulder. They put lumber yards on their shoulder. That's why guys like that succeed. And that's why guys like this, in my opinion, you talk about the top 20 big game pictures over the last 25 years. How do not you mention the name Kurt Schilling? Kurt Schilling, NLCS MVP, World Series MVP in the desert with the snakes. And you got pencil pushers are defining 
his resume by sitting back and making their vote kind of matter. And it's all because of Kurt's politics. This guy right here, you talk about big game pitchers. Here he is. It's Kurt Schilling. Kurt, thank you so much What's for up, taking Dan? time. Hey, I wait think- a minute. I don't hear any chickens. Hold on. I am absolutely digging the throwback Leroy Selman, Tampa Bay. That is so badass. <laughs> I love it, man. Dude, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, Kurt, I had a guy say this and ask this question to go out to you here. Your time in Philly. Take us to that time in Philly. What was it for you? Your time in Philly was what? Uh, almost a dream come true. Um, you know, we didn't win. And, and ultimately, uh, my greatest memories in the game were, you know, dogpiling on the field after a win. But um, it, was the, it was really it's, – it's really hard to put into words because it was so many different things. I, I got married. My, all my kids were born there. Bought my first home there. My career began for the most part there. Uh, we had 1993. You know, when you have a team that loses the World Series and the town still has a parade for you, I mean, you, you're something special. And um, I had a bond uh, with those fans that to this day I, will, I, I cherish because I enjoy playing for hard-ass fans because I knew – I was going to leave it all out there and I knew that they would make everybody else I played with, leave it all out there or quit. And that was fun. I love those expectations. Um, You know, really obviously very disappointed that the team never made a committed effort after 93 to put together a winner. Didn't make trades. They could have made, didn't get players they could have gotten. Um, But so many great things came out of there. Terry Francona and I uh, met, um, and, and gosh, we spent most of our, Mike spent most of my career after that with him. Um, so many great memories, uh, so many great friends, just lost another one in David West this last week. Um, but just, I, Philadelphia had the ability in the vet, especially where 11,000 people could sound like 60,000, uh, when they wanted to. And, and people that weren't from Philly hated that. Uh, and I know visiting players hated it, but I loved it. Kurt, you know, I'm, I, I'm not, our, our, our company is based in Philadelphia and I'm getting a great, a fil, you know, I'm getting a great understanding of who these people are. If you show huh. up, and you go to work, they're going to love you. You that, think listen, you're some of the most misunderstood fans there are? Well, no, they're not misunderstood. People hate them because they're Philly fans. They're not misunderstood. They're passionate. They're vulgar. They're mean. Uh, they're, they're pissy. They're all the things as a home player you dream of having behind you because, and here's the thing, unfortunately for a lot of players, if you're not good, they don't like you. And I don't have a, and I don't have a problem with that. I mean, when you think about where it's gone, where, where professional sports has gone and the amount of money, a hardworking family has to spend to go to one game, uh, yell all you want, man. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it was it was a very special place to play. I, you know, uh, Boston was very much the same way. People ask me, you know, who, which fans were better. Both bases, fan bases, Boston and Philadelphia, were were heaven for home players and hell for visitors. And and 
Uh, I cherish being able to to take the mound and stand and take the ball and stand on the mound in front of both those sets of fans. And in Arizona, it was special because I grew up there. Let me let me let me let me take you to another chapter, the Boston chapter. Does the Boston chapter define your winning and being in that environment to finally deliver something that that fan base had never seen before? I mean, you got to think about it, Kurt. The Cubs, the Red yeah. Sox. I mean, even when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, you know, you know what a great thing that was right. down Broad Street. I mean, but to do that right. for that community, what did that mean? On a personal level for me, I think – I hope I can say this. I think it backed up the fact that I didn't talk shit. <laughs> if, I, if I said it, I was going to get it done. And, and, you know, I remember a very vivid moment when, when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer were at my house trying to, you know, recruit me to come to Boston. And my wife, Shonda, had strategically placed my 2001 World Series trophy between their chairs. And, you know, they were kind of haggling a little bit about money. And Larry Lacchino was haggling about money. I said, listen, guys, I said, come on, this is stupid. I said, you, you want me to go there and help you win one of those because you can't do it on your own. You can't beat the Yankees and you know I can. I said, so let's stop haggling and bullshitting about the money. Let's just say that if we win the World Series in the first three years of this deal, I get a $2 million bonus and you give me another year on my contract. And because ultimately that's why I was going there. And so I didn't have a problem with that. That never bothered me. You know, I remember I went out before the the Yankee playoff series and said, I can't think of anything more enjoyable than making 55,000 people from New York shut their mouths. And I went out in game one and got my ass handed to me and they didn't shut up, boy. They were loud. And I heard things about my mother that I've never heard before, Uh, but, but it was deserved. I loved it. I relished being in that. And I always did things, and you can remember back in my days in Philly, I would say and do some things from a pressure perspective that would, in, in a lot of people's minds, were like, why do you want to put that much more pressure? I said, you know what? No one's ever going to come close to putting the pressure on me that I put on myself. I, so your, your expectations are going to fall for short, far short of anything I ever expect from myself. So, you know, ultimately it came down to that, right? The decision, well, and I knew, I knew that I had the Yankees in the wings. In, in 03. I, my wife wanted to go to New York. Um, and I knew that as soon as the, the window closed on the Red Sox 72 hours, that the Yankees were going to be in my house. And I, I began, I, and I was talking to Sean, we were talking it through and I said, well, so here's the deal. We can wait till tomorrow. New York will show up and they'll let me fill in the check and we can go win 28, 27, 28, 29 in New York. Or we can go to Boston and do something that no one's ever seen before. I said, I like the thought of doing something no one's ever seen before. I mean, it's a win-win in my mind either way. But I got there and I realized that there are guys, I mean, Kevin Millar talked about the fact that in 03, he didn't want the ball hit to him late in the game because he didn't want to be Bill Buckner. Wow. And I was like, you know, that shit stops now. Right. I mean, and, and the, so the saying that I came up with was, and I made t-shirts out of it and I still actually have mine is why not us? What's not, why, why can't it be us? Why can't we be the team? And we were so, and we were so talented and so deep. Um, our world series was the Yankee series. Uh, yeah. And I yeah. remember, I can remember vividly, we're down three Oh and they just beaten us like 115 to two. And a rod had like nine homers that game and drove in. It was ridiculous. And we just got embarrassed. 
And we were talking and I said, listen, guys, this is how it needs to be or it should be. It's got it. We don't have to win four games or three or two or what we need to win the top of the first tomorrow. I said, if you look around the room and at the talent in this team, in this room, if we play a half inning at a time, if I if you go out and pitch the bottom of the first and win that inning, win that half inning and win the time, we won't lose. We, we can't live. We're, we're, Kurt, did you guys get in the circle prior to that game four? Did you guys all say, let's win the first inning? Did you guys just no, say? That, we literally played that way for the next eight games. We won eight in a row. Let's win every inning. And just win the half inning. Win the half inning. Win the at-bat. You make it out, make it a nine-pitch at-bat. Win the – and if you go back and watch that series, that's exactly what happened. I mean – don't forget, we were down in the ninth again. Oh, in yeah. Game five. Yeah. And, you know, they had one thing over everybody else but us. Mariano Rivera didn't intimidate us. And, and God bless him, greatest closer that ever lived. I think he's a phenomenal human being. But in, I played in two clubs, Boston and Arizona, where Mariano Rivera wasn't, oh, my God, it's Mo. Um, and that, that became what it was. And then as soon as we won game five, Everything changed. I mean, I didn't know I was going to pitch game six until game five. But I can remember Wakefield, Derek Lowe, and I, on the night of game five, when it went uh, extra innings, we were walking. We just said, screw it. We put our spikes on. We're available. We're ready. And we walked to the bullpen, and the place just went nuts in Fenway as we were walking across the field. And, I'm, and I'm, in my head, I'm thinking, my God, if they lose this game, there it's all on them and then you know uh game six comes around and weird shit happens and we end up beating them again pretty handily and did and, you, you know, ever think kurt you weren't gonna you weren't gonna finish it out oh yeah yeah, yeah. I didn't, even when you were injured did yeah you i didn't go like this i don't I know if i'm gonna after, go dan i didn't think after game one i was gonna be able to pitch again because i couldn't i mean you couldn't you know, stand well, I, I went out there and, and we tried to shoot. Remember, all this stuff, tried different shoes and wraps and all this other stuff. And, and you know, my, my tendon was dislocating every time I threw the ball. And I could feel it and I could actually hear it. And, and um, well, I mean, that was just an embarrassment, what I did in game one. And, and that was probably the lowest point of my career. Oh, wow. Be, well, because that was the game I was brought there to pitch. Yeah. That game, that specific game was the game I was brought there to pitch and I failed and I was devastated. And then two days later, Dr. Morgan walks in and he goes, Hey man, listen. Um, and, and I'm out, I'm not pitching game six at the point. He said, I, I, I went to a morgue last night or a, a pl- I don't know what it was. He said, and I was messing around with this cadaver and I think I found out something we can do. And I was like, let's go. And 10 minutes later, I'm laying on the trainer's table with my ankle up, and he's stitching my skin down to the bone on my ankle. And guys are walking in, like, gagging, getting sick. It's fucking and awesome. I, <laughs> dude, I stood up, and I was like, I'm walking around like, dude, I can do this. I went out, and I started playing catch, and I was like, yeah, we're good, man. We're good. So they actually took the stitches back out, and then we redid it the day of the game. And I can remember being in the – I mean – the, the moment I knew in game one I was in trouble was when I went to hit the top step of the dugout to walk the bullpen, and my, my tendon dislocated. I felt it, and I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. Game six, when I hit the top step, everything stayed in place, and I was like, all right. 
and I got loose and it, it stayed there and I had a little zip on the ball and I could command a little bit. And I remember, I remember the thing I remember, and I, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian, uh, uh, I was born again since 1997. The thing I can remember most vividly is I had a moment before the game with our, uh, our pastor. We had, we had uh, chapel uh, before the games and I, I missed it because I was doing my pregame stuff. And I had asked him to stay behind. And I'm talking probably 6.30 on a, for an 8 o'clock game. I went up to see uh, uh, Walt. Walt Day was his name. And I sat down. And I, I've told this story a very few times. But I, I just started crying. I was just and, – and Walt just sat there, didn't say anything, didn't say anything. And, I mean, I'm talking bawling. And this is an hour and a half before first pitch. And he's like, you know, what's on your mind? I said, I – I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to go to him and ask him for a favor. I mean, you know, I, it's always been a, a relationship of convenience for me. And, and there's, so there's an enormous amount of guilt. And he goes, and he looks at me, he goes, it's not up to you, man. It's not up to you. And like I could, and, and you know, you hear people say that weight off your shoulders. I, I, I and I, I'm, I'm saying this on my children's name. If you watch the video of that, that game that night, you'll see me 15 different times on the field, laughing, smiling. Nobody on the planet was more at ease than I was on that baseball field. That's crazy. Un That's one of the biggest and, moments. And I get chills just saying it. Oh, it's because, in baseball history. Well, but I, but, but I, I experienced faith at its, at its very essence. I'm standing in the middle of Yankee Stadium. There's 55,000 people from New York, and they all shut up because I stuck it up their butts for seven innings. The umpires made the right calls, and 86 years of BS is gone, and now we're at 3-3 going to game seven, and – we knew. We, oh, yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. Game seven comes out, and starting with game four, we had watched Miracle before each game. 1980 U.S. men's yep, hockey. Yep, yep. Game seven, we're in the Yankee clubhouse watching it, and Theo comes in with his phone, and it's Jim Craig. Oh, my God. It's great. And he, yes. And he had called us, and he's like, boys, it's all on you. You win or lose, it's on you tonight. Just let look. Love it. Have fun. I mean, it was just one of those surreal moments. That's right. He's a Boston College guy. Yeah, That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And so he uh, he calls us. We go out there and, you know, we absolutely wipe the, the floor with them. And we knew, I mean, that was it. We knew. Um, after that series, no disrespect to the Cardinals because that was a great team. We knew they could. We didn't. We weren't worried about the Cardinals winning the World Series. We did not think the Cardinals could beat us a single game. You guys dominated. It was it was it was complete domination. Kurt, what's what was the desert to you and what you and Randy <laughs> did out there? What was that just the cherry on top of everything oh, on dude, when you guys so went much. there? I mean, because like you said, Mariano Rivera, the Yankees, Gonzalez gets the game winner. You're well, the MVP hey, with in it's spring crazy. training in spring training that year, Jerry Colangelo predicted that Luis Gonzalez would hit a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth of game seven against the Yankees to win the World Series. That's insane. And Gonzo comes up with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. But anyway, we – we that first of all, that was – in my in my career, that was probably the longest stretch of, of, of focus I ever had, that 2-0-1 and 0-2. Um, it was I, – I, you know – I, again, I don't want to – the sport is hard. I'm not disrespecting anybody. 
but I don't think anybody in the history of the game ever did what RJ and I did for a two-year period from a domination. We won 90 games. That's and, and we struck out, uh, what was it, 1,200 hitters? That's insane. Um, we threw close to 1,000 innings. Had to be one of the best one-two combos in baseball history. I, again, statistically, for two yes. years, I think we did – no one could ever touch us. You know what? Years. I would only go maybe Kurt, like J.R. Richard and Nolan right. Ryan. Even if you like go back – yeah, even if you go back – because I've done – like I don't I, – I, I lived and breathed the game. So if anytime I say something like that, I don't do it flippantly. Oh, got it. You know, I looked at Koufax and Drysdale, and yep. I looked at Richard and Ryan, and 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 I think at the time I felt like, from from a statistical perspective, we did things no one had ever done before. We finished one, two in the Cy Young. Randy won it both years uh, 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 unanimously, which he should have. Uh, I won the Players' Choice Award both years because that's voted on September first. And RJ went out and won like 20 games in freaking September and struck out like 500 guys both years uh, to win it. But it, it, and then you had 9 11. Uh, and then you had, I grew up in Phoenix. So that was very special to me. And think about this, right? I mean, you're a kid, you dream of doing all these other things. I'm, I'm what, 24 years old, 1991. I'm in the weight room in uh, the Astrodome and Roger Clemens comes over to me for 45 minutes. He wears my ass out, goes up one side, down the other. You're cheating the game. You're cheating yourself. And he said something that to this day has resonated with me. He said, when you walk out on that field, the name on the back of your jersey, that's not yours. That's your dad's. And, and I never forgot that. Now, here I am, 2001, Game 7 of the World Series, Schilling versus Clemens. 9-11, one of the greatest World Series that had ever been played. We just had three games in New York that went perfect. If you were a fan of the game and you hated the Yankees, the World Series went exactly how you would want it to go. They won all three in New York. The city was on, uh, you know, lit up after 9-11. We came back. Andy Pettit was tipping all of his pitches in game six. We beat them 16 to something. And I can remember I did a, a, a pregame game seven with, with uh, Kevin Kennedy. And I said, I guarantee you, if we win tonight, we will be World Series champions. And he's like, what? Oh, he's all freaking out. And, and they went over and they asked uh, Jeter. And Jeter's like, what do you think? He's, what is he supposed to say? And Mike, <laughs> and Mike Stanton was like all pissed off and whatnot. But the, 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 I'll tell you the moment, two moments that resound. Uh, and I don't know if we're pushed up for time. But no. two, two moments that were resounding uh, that will always stick with me was the first was I was sitting on the bench before I went to the bullpen and everything I did on the day I pitched happened the same way. Boy, there was spring training of the world series. And I'm sitting on the bench with Brian Matuzas, our, our uh, Jeff Matuzas, our bullpen catcher, who's a phenomenal human being. And there's 60,000 people in bank one stadium and there's white pom-poms and you can feel the stadium kind of vibrating. And I'm sitting there in my head. I had a conversation. My father popped into my head and said, Hey, what are you so, what are you so anxious for? And I'm, and I'm responding like, well, it's game seven of the World Series. He said, you're going to go out and do it tonight what you've been doing your whole life. And tomorrow you're going to wake up and take the kids to school. What's the problem? Have fun. <laughs> and I look over at Jeff and he's our bullpen catcher, sweating like he's in the middle of the Sahara. He's sweating bullets. And I, I looked at him I'm like, dude, what the hell are you sweating for? He goes, you're not nervous? I'm scared to death. I said, dude, you're the bullpen catcher. You're going to warm me up and sit on your ass for nine innings. What are you nervous about? And he just kind of laughed and we walked down to the bullpen. And then the other moment I remember is 
eighth inning. Uh, I remember after six innings, I was walk. I the only time in two years that I lost my focus after the sixth inning, I walked off the mound. I'd only faced 18 hitters. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to face 27 hitters in game seven of the world series. Like there was the first time I'd gotten out of my thought train. Next inning, I screwed it up. Eighth inning, I throw, I had punched out Soriano twice and I got him into a two strike count and I was going to go split. And I went split and I threw a beautiful split. And he crushed it. And I knew as soon as he hit it, it was gone. And it was a bomb. And if you watch the pitch, pitch was a spectacular pitch. He crushes it. And, and I don't know why, but for some reason, every time, you know, you turn around, you watch a home run go. I turned around to my left for some reason. And as I did it, my peripheral vision caught Mo getting up in the dugout, in the bullpen, taking his jacket off. And in my head, I'm like, I just lost the World Series. I just lost the World Series, and I was just <sighs> devastated. And then, you know, the ninth inning happens, and Gracie singles. And, and, and I'll tell you, if you're a fan of baseball, if you go back and watch that ninth, bottom of the ninth, <clears throat> it all happened in less than five minutes. It, all, it was electric. It was, it, was, it was beyond belief. But all of that happened, the, the two runs and all the – everything happened inside of under five minutes. It was that fast. And I'm sitting on the bench – and Gracie leads off with a single off Mo pulls his hands in, hits a jam shot up the middle. And I'm sitting behind RJ and you know, he's seven feet tall and nine feet wide. So I'm like trying to watch the game under him. Gracie gets hit. Well, I got to go back to my seat. So I'm watching the whole inning, like behind RJ trying to look through his legs and look around and, and it's just bang, bang, bang. And all of a sudden we're on the field celebrating. Kurt, Kurt, I've got to, I've got to bring this up. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you, you know, I'm a former professional athlete. You are as well. I, I, I can't believe you're being held out of the Hall of Fame because of the shirt you're wearing with all of the things that you've accomplished. One of the top 20 postseason pitchers, 200 wins, low three ERA, one of the greatest big game pictures of all time. I asked Dave Stewart, I go, I'm getting – I go, Stu, I'm getting on – I'm shilling. He goes, dude, you talk about giving the pill to a guy and you need nine innings one, he's your guy. And I'm going – he goes, it's a shame. And I saw what you said the other day or a couple uh, months ago or a year ago. You said, take my name out of this. I don't even want to go through this stuff yeah. any longer. Just your thought on the process of how so, people with pencils and pens decide your resume. Well, let's, let's begin with the fact that it's an incredibly flawed process, all right? Um, and, and to be clear, let me just state right up front, if I had a Hall of Fame, I wouldn't be in it. Why? Right? Well, because I'll play a little game. I play this with any sports person, all right? I'm going to name a name to you, and you tell me Hall of Fame or no, okay? okay. Mariano Rivera. Slam dunk. Tony Gwynn. Slam dunk. Mike Mussina. But that's it. If you have to wait and pause, No. And that's me. I'm a one, he only had one 20 game year, final year. But again, I am, if you have to think about it, no. That's, how, that's my Hall of Fame. Yeah, but I Kurt, think, you have moments and, in and baseball I, no, I get history. That. I, I totally get that. And, and for the Hall of Fame as it stands, statistically, I fit somewhere in there. But, but, the, but my Hall of Fame, I wouldn't be in. But this whole thing that's happened. Um, you think Madison Baumgartner is a Hall of Famer? Uh, no. And so, because he kind of apparently, 
He right. had these great postseasons. And I said that probably too flippantly. I need to look at his numbers. But I but I go back to that, right? If I have to look into the numbers to me, no. That would be my Hall of Fame because it wouldn't be all the people that are in it, right? But I, I played with Hall of Famers. Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer. Dale Murphy's a Hall of you Famer. You think Pedro is more than you? I think Pedro has Pedro has as many wins as you. Pedro had the greatest and I, so I, I came up with my own statistic to, to rate pitchers. Those two years he had the one something ERA he, was insanity. he had the greatest three year run in the history of baseball yeah. by a wide margin. It was like Koufax stuff. It was it was way better than Koufax when you compare him to the Eras. That's the thing. Pedro had the greatest three run seat. You think Kershaw's a Hall of Famer? Yo, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Even with his postseason failures, absolutely, yeah. Okay, I mean. Because he will, I, he will not have as many wins as you. Well, but 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 I'll go back to three thousand strikeouts. One of the few things that that pitchers well, you have thirty one hundred. Right, but 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 three thousand strikeouts is is a thing. Like strikeouts, walks, walks and hits, innings pitch, you know, numbers like that. Um, I, I pay attention to. But the whole thing became uh, a, a popularity contest, and because I kept saying to, to people. I haven't gotten a hitter out in eight years, but my vote total changes every year. How does that work? <laughs> right. And, and I also know the writers, right? There aren't a lot of Tim Kirkchins and Jason Starks and Rob Bradford's good, honest, integrity people who love the sport. There are far more Dan Shaughnessy's and Michael Felger's and, and just phony ass frauds who have turned Dan Levitards. Absolutely. They've turned what they've done is they've made themselves part of the story instead of reporting it. And 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 they feel and, and listen, I've met a lot of fans that are far smarter than any beat writer many beat writers I ever was around. They, they're not there's nothing about them for the and not all of them obviously. Nothing about them that is expert. They just have access. And and they feel like that empowers them and they're they're well, I mean what is it? Uh, there was a poll two years ago. Eighty-six percent of of sports writers define themselves as liberal. So you know, and, and but but here's the thing: I, I'm very proud of a couple things in my career. Uh, Jamie Moyer and I are the only two players to ever sweep the humanitarian awards. Uh, Lou Gehrig, uh, uh, Roberto Clemente, Branch Rickey, uh, five or six awards. Uh, those same guys are the ones that voted on those awards. Those same guys. So so all of those guys who stood in front of my locker. Win or lose, I was at my locker every game and who loved the fact that I wasn't a yes-no guy. They'd ask me a question, I'd give them a quote. They'd take that quote and turn it into an article because, oh, I got it. I said something. They loved that when I played. And when I retired, it became a problem. And baseball, for the most part, has, has, has gone – I mean, I've gotten nothing from baseball. Uh, uh, I, I love teaching and working with young pitchers. I've worked with some teams for the, on the draft and stuff like that. But, but, Kurt, how do you do this? How do you take the all-star game out of Atlanta the year that Henry Aaron dies right, and move it into a more progressive state in Colorado with tougher because, laws because you're not educated? No, because you're pandering to an audience that doesn't watch you anyway. The stands in most baseball stadiums are not full of liberals. Baseball is a conservative game. It always has been. It's, an, it's a grassroots American uh, Americana game of history. And, and if anything, we've learned in the last 10 years, liberals hate the history of this country. I mean, you look at baseball was a huge part of the, the color breakdown and the barrier, color barrier breakdown. They came very late to the party. 
but they came to the party. And, you know, now, you know, now you hear, a bit, I, I, I'm actually doing an article for uh, 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 Fox and, and I was talking about racism in sports. There isn't racism in sports. The, the people that cover sports are racist. It, 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 because you hear about baseball being a racist sport when it's 50 some percent white and I think 10 percent black. I don't hear about the NFL that's 82 percent black or the NBA that's 78 percent black being racist. It's, it's all about. And so I became with with a couple omissions. If you omit words from a from a comment or you add them or you interpret them your way, you can turn anybody into a, a racist, homophobic, misogynistic, whatever. None of those things. I Think about this, Dan. I played 22 years. I never had a teammate, never had an opponent, never had a fan, never had a clubhouse guy, coach, anybody in the game ever say anything other than I talk too much. <laughs> and and I'm okay like... with that. I'm okay with that because I do. But 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 nobody. And now all of a sudden I'm this this closet theorist, theory uh, conspiracy theory guy who, you know, I, I made a comment five, six years ago about that Q movement when I said, you know, I, I haven't followed this, but this is kind of actually interesting to read about. I was a member of Q at that point, apparently. And and so when when the when the media can can buy ink by the barrel and go and check and there's no accountability they can do whatever they want they can and you watch them ruin lives i mean you, how many athletes are you seeing go back to their high school tweets and and delete them oh. for things they said when they were 17 absolutely kurt i'm up against the the wire yeah. here yep. i hope we can do this again man because you and i could talk for hours here about baseball life and politics i think you're a compelling human i appreciate it my friend Dude, I really loved it, and um, thank you so much for finding me. Always a pleasure, Dan. You take care of yourself. Can you do it again, please? Thank you. You got it. Appreciate it. Kurt Schilling. Man, I love that. Dude, that was great stuff there. Somebody said that he hated Philly. I didn't get that. Where in the world? He loved his time. It prepped him for what he did. In Boston. And by the way, he thanked all of you guys for the comments and such. Man. Kurt Schilling doesn't look at himself as a Hall of Famer. That's why he is a Hall of Famer. Dude, I mean, NLCS MVP with the um, Phillies. World Series MVP with the Snakes. 200 wins. By the way, you're never going to see a 300 winner in the history of baseball because most guys go only five and two-thirds. You're never going to see that. Oh, Jeff, I love Roberto Clemente. Man, that guy was spectacular, man. We 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 got to get Kurt on again, too. Dude, man, hey, him and Clemens, man. Oh, that was fantastic. Thank you so much, dude. That's a wonderful thing. Thank you, Kurt. He said that he really had a fun time, and he said he would love to do it again with us here. Love it. All right, guys, Morgan to Morgan, where the fee is free. That means this. You don't have to pay 
until they get paid. Okay? That's right. If you don't get paid, okay, they are not going to do anything until you get your fair compensation. Finding an attorney is one of the most important things that you could possibly do when it comes to being hurt or injured on the job. For the people, my friends, it's not just a slogan. It's what they are. It's who they are. This is what Morgan & Morgan has done for over 30 years now, getting compensation for their clients. That's right, okay? $13 billion over the last 30 years in compensation for their clients. With over 800 attorneys and offices in Philadelphia, New York, and across the country, there is no law firm that is bigger when it comes to casualty than Morgan & Morgan. The call is free. 800-512-1600. That's 800-512-1600. Open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is who Morgan & Morgan is. Guys, you have been absolutely spectacular. We thank you. I like my friend Tony Saracusa for coming on. He's from The Last Word in College Football. I thought that was a great conversation. Go back and watch it if you can. That was in the 4 o'clock Eastern hour. and We just had Kurt Schilling on for quite some time and he was just absolutely spectacular please hit the like button we'll catch you tomorrow going three to six eastern we'll see you on the flip side i'm john morgan of morgan and morgan when you're hit from behind in a car crash the insurance company may try to say you can't possibly be hurt it was only a few miles an hour it's simply not true you see here's the thing getting hit at 10 miles per hour is like falling off of this 15 miles per hour like this and only 25 miles per hour, this. Injured, dial pound law. There's only one Morgan & Morgan.